Whiskey, November, Romeo, Papa. To all units, proceed to your post assignments. All units, proceed to your post assignments. Loose cannon. Sometimes you've just got to throw away the manual, fake a radio short, and believe in your mech. Corporal Annie James, Syrian Lancers, 3058. You're listening to Wolfnet Radio, the only show that includes three general orders. I'll be your host this evening, Matthew, the blob of a merc unit, but Beth Barron's. Uh, co-host tonight, joining us this evening, as always, Andrew, I'll order seven, the middle crawl. Good evening, guys. How's it going? And Aaron, Discord, activate. Crawl. Activate. You spell crawl with a five-bladed star. Boom. And Luke on call, Charles Gideon Dirks. Hello, Wolfman. And special guest tonight, Aaron, let me show you my car's interior. Okay, Hal. <laughs> Welcome. We'd love to have you on the show tonight. Happy to be here, folks. Not in a car. Not in a car. In at home. Level of dis- realize, he's, he's not he's he's not in the mobile office. I didn't realize that'd become my brand. I only thought I did it like two or three times, but I guess that's enough. I was starting to take bets between you and Ray who was gonna be the next one. My my <laughs> level of disappointment is immeasurable and my day is ruined. <laughs> I just I I go out there, I just be a lot darker. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> it's interesting. Blair, Blair, Blair Witch, I can put a flashlight under my chin. And... Oh, there you go. Do they catch you at all times of the day when you're like in your car, getting Usually. groceries, standing in line by the by the checkout counter? Well, they try. Beep. Yeah, I mean, I try not to do it in public so much. Oh. I, mean, I guess in, in your car is by definition in public, but now I'm always doing something. I have small kids and and. Just a lot going on, so I usually wind up. Dude, that'd be hilarious. You're sitting out in your driveway, and all of a sudden, you have all your neighbors walk up and start knocking on the window. Are you okay? I've done, that. Right? I've done that. I've done that for work meetings. <laughs> My in-laws are watching the, our younger kid here, and there's no quiet place in the house. I have taken. Um, fairly substantial meetings from my driveway because uh, the only quiet place I had for. 16 months. So. We've all been there. Usually it's well, on a can yep. instead. <laughs> <laughs> should do the next, you should do the next AMA from like the DMV or something like that. Just face FaceTiming while you're in line. I got to do my emissions. So, you know, no <laughs> yeah. wasted. You hear the background typewriter. Yeah. <sighs> really enough time. Well, anyways, welcome to the show. Why don't we get started with, uh-huh. um, how did you get, into Battletech and what's your background, sir? Uh, I suppose the quick quick version is I was um, so I'm, I'm 38, about to turn 39, meaning I was there in the 90s uh, when 4th edition came out. I was right at the right spot for it. You know, I had played some D&D. I had a high school gaming group and my friends got 4th edition. Uh you know, obviously got hooked on the game, played it for a couple of years, um, collected some some of the books that were easier to get because no limited internet at the time. Uh, tough to fill out a collection, but I went away from it for a few years uh, in college and afterward, and then I, uh, I sold the collection. I did the purge. The purge, it's always a mistake. Uh, I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll probably need the room and you know did the 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 classic mom's moving so you got to come get stuff out of the basement all that (laughs) got to pay rent Um, (laughs) sure sure you know so a couple more years pass and um 
just having time and thinking about, you know, what did I want to spend, having basically free time and some income, uh, what did I want to use it on? I remembered how much I liked Battletech and started kind of getting back involved again. And the local group, at the time, there's only one group that was playing at a game store, basically anywhere in Maryland. And it was down at a store called Games and Stuff in Glen Burnie, which is a huge uh, mid-Atlantic game store. Uh, and that group was run by um, Paul Jardin, who was a developer, is a developer for Battletech. Uh, and just get into it, you know, he kind of, I talked to him about some of my ba- my backgrounds in uh, writing, editing. Um, you know, I was a journalism uh, major. I worked in newspapers for a while. And, you know, he kind of started connecting me with some of the folks there. Uh, I got involved doing the editing uh, through Jason Schmetzer and eventually Ray. And it just kind of went from there. You know, I didn't necessarily set out to become... Uh, assistant line developer or even any kind of a developer I just had uh, you know very <laughs> I hate saying this because of the stupid movie but I had a specific set of skills that that worked for what was needed and really needed I mean you know when we did the writing for Battletech AMA I couldn't quite articulate this but everyone asked so how do I get to be a writer on the source book side and the easiest answer that's not really an answer is find the thing that we desperately, desperately need somebody to do and do it. And that's kind of why I was able to do it, because I had a background in professional editing. Uh, at the time when I started getting back involved, I was a technical writer, which if you know anything about the way technical reports are put together, involves very little writing and mostly editing and formatting. Uh, so it just worked out. I mean, that's kind of a long-winded version of the origin story, but... Uh, you know, it's it's just been, I've been fortunate to be able to contribute where needed. And, you know, I think starting from a place where I didn't come in saying, I want to write the spine fiction. That's my goal. That's everybody's goal. That's what everybody comes in saying, right? And then again, good for them. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, that's that's a lot of people wanting to do a thing that very few people often get to do. So uh, I think it was again good that I was able to find a way to contribute that that both furthered what the line needed and played to what I was good at <laughs> he will right find on. you and he will edit you <laughs> nice <laughs> well editing is a funny thing with Battletech because you have to kind of it's part fact checking although we have obviously a great fact check team sometimes you're backstopping them sometimes they're backstopping you meaning like you kind of have to be the arbiter. If two or three different people come with different fact check notes, the editor has to kind of synthesize all that into something. Like, all right, so how do we make this? How do we reconcile this? And on the other hand, if I had to add three, four, five paragraphs because something was too short or it needed to be expanded in some way, they backstop me, right? But all of that is like, it's it's just a very strange kind of thing to do because you also have to have the professional, you have to know... Chicago style. You have to know just the basics of writing. Um, it was definitely a, a an interesting, uh, and of course you have to know BattleTech so well. <laughs> it's it, it, that sounds like nothing, but like with so much history, I mean, so many corners. You know, you can't look up everything. You'll yeah. never get through something. You, you just kind of have to know some of it and have internalized some of it, and that's that's a hell of a thing to tell somebody who's just trying to get you know started. And we've We've built out the editing team, but it's mostly with people that have a lot of history um, with the game. You know, 
we've had offers, you know, my, my significant other, or my friend is a good editor. They do professional editing. Like I'll give anyone a shot. I mean, who knows, but like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're going to be looking up a lot. Uh, they're going to spend a lot of time on, on have you ever, have just you ever, building it. Have you ever had that instance where you've had an editor come in that didn't know anything about Battletech and then they're just like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's a lot not of stuff so, here. Not so far because for many years I was the only editor oh. from about oh. 20 from about 2015 until whenever Battle of Takayad was, I guess last year. I edited basically everything with two exceptions. The turning points were edited by the guy who wrote them, Jeff Swift, Doc, um, and Phil Lee. When I say everything, I mean game side, not fiction. Uh, and Phil backed me up on a couple of books it, that's what Tukai is what did it at that point we, we had to get other editors <laughs> because i couldn't i couldn't I, you know that shut me down it was for a big book a month. and and when i say shut me down i mean i didn't have i wasn't raised assistant for that month i wasn't you know a senior developer or whatever for that month i wasn't doing anything i certainly wasn't writing anything um and it just you know that that's not a Anyone who knows management will tell you the most important thing for a manager to do is not be the guy doing, you know, making the widgets. And uh, that was kind of a we're skipping around, but that 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 was kind of what showed us we need to build the editing, really build the editing team, and not let me be the the bottleneck for everything. All so right. There's so a, there's a lot of uh, so there's a lot of um, skill set and research and knowledge that has to go into the full gambit of those positions and that team. So I, I, I want to piggyback, I want to piggyback off of that and I want to ask a question. And we were talking about this earlier and we kind of said we weren't going to say anything about it, but what you said kind of segues into this. So we were talking about fact checkers and <laughs> I, I think, or I feel that there is maybe a misconception or maybe a misunderstanding of what fact checkers are. Mm. So I watched the AMA yet on Saturday and I'll leave that for another time. But we, Matt and I were just talking about, um, there's a really big picture. And then there seems to be a, a, a small picture of there's a big picture in editing as far as continuity goes story continuity and then there seems to be but there seems to be a smaller macro uh, not macro uh, a smaller continuity of the story and does the mech variant change does he change from him to her we have dropship classes that are being listed that aren't actual dropship classes just examples that we've seen in some late fiction that have come out that when you say fact checker, does that encompass just story continuity, or is that supposed to encompass all of the right story mm -hmm. continuity and story writing itself, and that it follows? There's a flow. Sure, like sure. A, like a large, like a large scope lore, story mm -hmm. to story, and then the narrow focus of during the chapters does a unit change in existence or does sure. a character become a different gender all right, right. mistake well, that's what, what you're well, describing well, the second well, that you're describing is what a, go ahead. 
time out, Aaron. Time out. Just a minute. Just we'll pause here. Just a minute, Aaron. Make a make a check. If there is a question that is answered, I forgot to tell you this before we started. If we ask you something that you're just like, fuck no, I don't want to touch that, you can just say, fuck no, I'm not answering that, and we'll edit that piece out. Okay? Yeah, completely. Just, I, just, I, just, just, I want to give you that heads up that if that is something that you don't want to touch, just say sure. so. That's not something I want to chat, okay? No, I appreciate <laughs> it. I mean, there's, there's, very little, there's very little that I would say that about because – Truthfully, most of the things I'm involved in are operational, meaning oh. like production oriented, like how do we make things? How do we choose what to make? But the things that are like touchy company level stuff doesn't really touch on what I, I, I you know, that's oh. not like the Lauren Randall level of thing of like, why did Catalyst blank? I, I would be speculating. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't mm-hmm. actually have an answer because I wasn't a decision maker. Uh, Fair for enough. That. Whatever. So, All right. so point being, there's very little that I would say like, oh, I can't say. I mean, I'm not going to speculate, but there's very little that I would be like, I, I have the answer, but I'm not going to give it to you. So, yeah. All right. well, anytime you want to hide behind, you want to, uh, you know, claim, <laughs> claim N- NDA, that. you can totally. <laughs> I apologize for derailing, but I wanted to make no, sure no, that, no. that you knew that going in. So and I do, I do. how about at this time, we go ahead and uh, bring in yeah. uh, Thomas J. Kruger as well, who just showed up, uh, who's been very busy. So uh, welcome back as well, Thomas, the highwayman, Silent Sea Reverend Kruger. About right. Holy crap. <laughs> two, two months on site. Just got, got to the hotel right now. So, Well, we're glad you're safe and sound and working to the bone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, a, so rolling, rolling back, big picture, small picture, fact checkers, roll. Sure. So the second thing that you're describing is kind of what like a film continuity editor would do, right? They're the guy, person who, if the glass is on the right-hand side in one take to make sure it's there, you know, when they do it. So that's kind of, I think, what the second thing you're describing. The answer is... It's, I'm trying to make this not too in the weeds, but it does get in the weeds. It comes down to the way the fact check team is built, I think. Because they are a volunteer group and because they're not formalized, meaning when we don't hire to the fact check team, right? We don't right. have a job description. I don't come, you know, we don't have huddles where I, I indoctrinate new folks into here's what we expect. It's very individual. We have folks who are. Um, more interested in we have folks who are interested in every version of fact checking you could imagine so to your point the, the within the boundaries of this one particular piece are we consistent within the greater picture of Battletech canon one is this accurate meaning does it trip over anything that's just doesn't work you know that person can't have been on this planet in this year because there's no way distance wise they could have even if they had moved that stuff and then the elements of this doesn't really make sense meaning sure this could happen functionally you know there this person could be on this planet driving this mech but they wouldn't and here's why and we have folks who are you know very good at at Things like mech building, meaning like for the uh, example for the recognition guides, we have folks who can look at one of those text blo- those stat blocks, 
and just know that mech's two tons underweight. There's two tons of space left. Like, I would have to put the thing into a record sheet to do that. But they just know. So then the answer to your question is, it depends on the individual. You know, what they focus on. We hope to make everything consistent at least within itself. That is, to me, the bare minimum. And I realize there's, that has not always happened. But to me, that's the bare minimum. And that goes to editing, right? If, it can't, if a piece can't be specific, within itself be consistent, that's errata, honestly. I mean, that's errata. If it doesn't work within, or if, when I say it doesn't work, if there's an issue with something in the larger canon, you know, sometimes there are things, there are retcons. Uh, they happen. And anything that's been around as long as Battletech, they happen. Um, either because something got closed off that we didn't want closed off, would, we would not have wanted closed off, but either we didn't know, or people 20 years ago who we never even talked to didn't know. Um, or, you know, there's there's cases where we just make a choice. We say, all right, that's a stretch, but we're going with it. Usually because we're setting something up. We need this person to be in this mech for a reason. Or we need a particular unit to do something, even though... You know, there's there's arguments that this doesn't quite work. Legends was <laughs> Legends was the toughest fact check I think we've ever at least I've ever been involved in. We had at least four hundred and fifty or five hundred fact check notes on that book. Wow. And I, when I say notes, I don't mean like the commas in the wrong place. Because also, by the way, back to your question, they'll check grammar too. If we unless we we have to specifically tell them not to. Like, this has not been edited. Please don't check, you know, comment on Chicago style. We'll get that. We have editors who will do that. But sometimes they will anyway, because that's against the individual, right? It's what they see as their mandate uh, when they fact check a piece. You know, unfortunately, it's not a, that's not a, cold, a black and white, you know, hard and fast kind of answer. But there, there really isn't one, again, because we don't have a job description. We hand them and say, sure. this is what we want you to do. Well, I, and that probably I, came out in the AMA yesterday of how people approach it differently. And I, and I, say I, appreciate, I appreciate you taking the time and, and explaining that. It's it's something that, you know, with our podcast and the number of folks that we have that listen to us and, and the Facebook group that we have, you know, we, we hear a lot about, you know, when there is a mistake. And, we do too. <laughs> and I... I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, again, I, we kind of said we weren't going to talk about it, but we're on it. I was kind of disappointed in the AMA on Saturday in that I, I kind of felt it was a softball. Um, they didn't answer a lot of tough questions, or any tough question for that matter, on mistakes that have been done and how, how do you address that. And, and saying that we're formulating a plan or yeah, that was on us, is a is a perfectly fine answer. At least the fans have heard that we recognize it and we're attempting to do better. Mm. Um, that's that was sorry, I'm I'm on a soapbox. I was oh, a little fine. upset on, on the AMA um, on <laughs> yeah. Saturday because nothing was nothing I, I was addressed. So fair enough. I, I can I can see where you're coming from. The only thing I guess I would say in that in in the team's defense is remember that because they're volunteers and they they are under no obligation 
to do X number of fact checks per year or we kick them or that we ever, if we hand them something, if they're too busy, they just don't do it. They don't, you know, there's no, there's no recourse for me to be like, you know, you haven't done enough for the team. So we need you to step up, right? Mm -hmm. this, there's no review process. I don't have annual goal setting meetings with them or anything. And so what I guess I would say is, is that they're in a position of flagging things that they can't A, directly fix, or B, change the processes behind that would generate some of those mistakes. So they're in a tough position, so you're a probably not position. wrong. A tough position. When you, when, you, when, you, when you say, well, they didn't really answer anything, that's likely true, because what, could, what would somebody who's a volunteer working at their own pace, their own volition, be able to do, right? I'm going to, it would be unlikely that they could say, well, I'm going to get into the editing process and really pull it apart and figure out where the, the problems are. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't, That's... I would not welcome that, but it's, it's, they're not really, you know, it's, it, it, it's tricky. That's um, a tall order. Yeah. Employees. I mean, even for me to do something like that, you know, I, I give the fact check team a wide berth. I don't go in usually. And, and by the way, I want to say I, I mean, really all of us, because I don't run the fact check team. You know, we've had discussions about does the line editor nominally do that? We, we don't really know because we've never needed to know. Again, there's no review process. We've never needed to lord anything over anyone. So we just don't know. But no one, no one goes in and, and, you know, really pulls it apart with the fact check team and figures out what they do, why they do it. Because we have folks on there who know so much and are able to, you know, are able to hack us up so well. I it's one of those I things will. that I risk tinkering. I, 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 last thing I would say is that I fear tinkering with it lest I break it. You know, and it's one of those you know things. What? Like, that, just let it be what it is. Their knowledge, the knowledge that they had, absolutely came out in the AMA. Um, the breadth and depth that those folks have, and I know that I believe not everybody was on. Um, Absolutely. I, I understand and I agree. And thank you for taking the time to answer. It was just, it was something that, that I know that we've heard as, as from our podcast and our members sure. that would have been curious to see if there would have been an answer. So thank you. Yeah. Let's try an easy question now. What's your favorite unit of uh, like type of mech or vehicle and the, What's your favorite, uh, like, company or regiment? Company or regiment. Or type uh, so of unit. The first thing first, I've skipped around a lot. Uh, you know, I would say my favorite, the thing I've played the most um, is a Wraith. Either T TR1 usually because the partial wing, some folks don't like those in their games, and that's <laughs> fine. TR2 um, is my preferred one because it leans into the things that that mech wants to do better. It's undergunned. I recognize it's undergunned. So if it's going to be undergunned, I'd rather have the extra two jump. Uh, that, that way it stays a sneaky, it. fast little sniper. And my favorite uh, yes. thing about, Another man of culture. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my favorite thing about it is it's my test especially with players. So like Paul and I have played a lot of games together. We've played a lot of games with folks who have also played a lot of games. We've played some with folks who know nothing. 
um, who are coming in fresh. You know, they just see this thing, they're interested in sitting down. But the wraith is always my test of, are you going to chase the squirrel? <laughs> because when that thing takes off and gets behind you, are you going to do the, the dog that sees a squirrel and, and go after it? Or are you going to take that large laser in the back and focus on the mech that you're trying to drop this turn? Stay on and target. So, how many large lasers are you willing to take in the back? Because I'm going to keep putting them there. <laughs> you know, is it in shots even, not even necessarily hits, but shots. How many are you willing to give me? And I love war games in general when they put people to those kinds of decisions. You know, when, when it's clear what I'm doing, you decide how you're going to handle it. Um, I think that makes for a more fun experience for the person you know, playing well, it. Yep. 350. Our, our 350 does that as well. Who brought Uncle uh, Mark in here? Through this. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you, you froze a little bit. Maybe we broke Uh-oh. up there. Yeah. Say it again, Andrew. Sorry. Uh, well, plug the 350, because the 350 has a lot of that happen as well. Um, getting behind, I mean, using that tactic of getting something behind, mm-hmm. does that alter the the mission for that round that you're that you're gonna do and overall um, makes it make makes for makes for very interesting um, outcomes. Yeah, I like I like any kind of war game, whether it's BattleTech or anything else, where you have a lot of agency, you have a lot of decisions, <laughs> where it doesn't feel like we're mushing things at one another and seeing what the dice give us. Um, and sometimes sure. that's fun too to just play roulette. But it's a little more fun to play blackjack, to play poker, to feel like you've got a little more like, you know, choices. But I have seen, man, I've put I've put units behind folks like that and just seen complete anarchy break out, which, which is kind just of fun. Chaos, too. I think yeah. we, anyone who's played about like long enough <laughs> has seen that that locust get behind somebody and you just watch their unit just scatter. Well, sometimes you know, two guys two guys decide they're going to go hunting. One person decides they're going <laughs> to stay and take on the assault themselves, and the other one's kind of <laughs> waffling, so they just don't move a lot and stay where they are. It always happens. The um, best is when and, you see like the whole unit turn to try to take out one light mech. You're like, what are you doing? Circle the wagons. Right. Circle the That's wagons. Right. That's right. It's, it's a large laser and nine jump. It's really not that much of a threat to you unless your choices make it a problem for you, which is, again, why I've always enjoyed it. Um, I have a soft spot for the quick draw that I can't quite explain. Um, <laughs> it, talk about me- I just all these little, like, heavier end mediums, I guess, that are just not always well loved. I always like the thing, like the flavor. The quick draw has really good ankle joints. <laughs> like, what a specific piece of flavor to bake into the writing. Like, because the game doesn't care. I mean, there's an actuator, I guess, but like, ultimately, the game doesn't much care they've quite i realize there are quirks and stuff now but at the time that they wrote that it was just a thing you know like to explain the circles i guess on the if the old art had those, uh. those big circles <laughs> on the ankle so they had to you know they get yeah. this piece of art you're like i gotta write something to it mm-hmm. stuff like that I, again for that reason that kind of fl- weird quirky flavor things I, I enjoy those those are awesome tidbits that people in lore and in play gameplay absolutely love like myself where you start picking these these little these little gems that you find that you can tie in anything and they're all they're all unique that's the fun part they really are i mean when you look at i think that's the strength of battle tech that it's not just that we have all these units but they truly are different right maybe not in role maybe not in exact 
stat black and white profile, but then you work in the art. You work in what faction are they often found with, and what are they paired with, and that changes their, you know. There are other games that, that have a lot of distinct units, but I, I would put Battletech up as one that has so many distinct units. You know, it's not that we have thousands of mechs, it's that they do feel different. Um, I think Battletech has the deepest <coughs> rabbit hole you can find. No question. The rabbit, the rabbit hole is bottomless. No yeah. question. And oh. it goes back to the fact check and anyone who can who gets into it, I mean, tends to pu- get pulled down that very quickly. I think that's yeah. fanship now. That's that's how all fanships work, right? Is you know, you want to know more, you want to get in all the connections, all the pieces, all the um to enjoy it on those kind of deeper levels. Yeah, as a guy who so, will spend a week to write a 5-minute little blurb, I totally feel that like way down deep that that's in my soul right there because you just keep going further and and not not only like oh i want to know more but i also don't want to get it wrong so like when it comes to like the fact checkers like it, you you have to have a deep knowledge just to, like being able to look at something and knowing what it is you can't go oh i know you know i because that's one thing that they talked about in the ama is oh i i i know where to look for things I'm like you got to have way more than that because you you just have to know if it makes sense to even know to look. Because well, goes, that's right. Yeah, that's it what goes I back like. To what I said about you'll spend your life looking things up because there's so much. I mean, it's not just a I know where to find it. It's like, yeah, but if there's three of those per sentence and you've got you know 15 pages to edit, like you really some of it. Some of it you want to double check yourself. Some of it you just got to have. Um, that's what I like about I for, I knowing forget. that guy. It's like, hey, you need something on like the the Kelhound. I know a guy. I know a guy that knows the Kelhounds, or I know a guy that knows, like you said, the battle mechs, or knows the record sheets, or knows the tech readouts, or knows the the unit lore or the specialized era. The so, same thing happens on our contributor team. Among our contributors, we have people who are the go tos for blank. You know, uh, Josh Franklin is is Alpha Strike. You know, he knows Alpha Strike in a way, a very deep way. Um, you know, they're just folks that we turn to for certain things um, because it's what they like to do. It's what they know, and it's kind of you know reliable. Uh, because when we start, you know, I'd like to have a little. Uh, always good to have a little bit of uh, depth, but yeah, I think people find that the roles. Again, because that rabbit hole like you're just talking about is so deep, people find the things they like in the IP in the game, and, and that you know, just like some fans are able to become contributors and carry that thing that they love into whatever role they take on, that leads to us to have contributors that we turn to for those things, uh, rather than trying to figure it out ourselves or have to you know, the speed we we work on these products, it's tough to it's tough to teach. I wish we could do more. But, and maybe since you have those contributors and you can, hey, I got this problem. Phone call, delegation, you got an answer or a review yeah. within like an hour. That's could That'd be cool. And oh. it helps diversify the product too, right? Like so the books are written by more than one person. The, the you know, Tamar is a great example. You know, we had, uh, I think it was Keith Hahn and Josh Franklin on the rules section. You know, uh, Eric Saltzman and um, uh, Lance 
uh, Serenzi just did the the writing, you know, the main bar parts. There were um, other people working on the uh, rats, the the tables, the mech tables. Um, and it's to your point, you it's, guys... it doesn't become one person getting crushed by it. Doesn't become one person's vision. That what you know? What if that's not what people decide they like? There's a little bit of something for everybody in these books, and that helps. That sorry, Andrew, we're gonna ask. Do you do you guys have um, or do you work with say like a project management software or anything like that that helps illustrate or has a visualization when a product is out? Just maybe even for you guys that says this is the labor of work that we have and all of the people that are doing it just so that everyone can see the amount of contribution, the amount of depth and breadth that that's happening within a product. So the answer is no, but we should, we have tried different systems like Trello. Uh, we have tried, I mean, this goes back to like years ago, just having spreadsheets that have formula baked in of like how many days we have, you know, like if you want a book to come out on this date, you punch in that date and it, like back populates all of the is that even a word? It populates all the dates back into that to say when you have to have whatever done. But as far as roles, no, but we should. Uh, too much of that lives, I think, in Ray's head and my head, and others, other the senior developers who, you know, we need a person to do blank. Oh, well, we could have this person, that person, you know, and it doesn't. It works, but I'd rather have a more formalized way to have pools of people, what their skills are. Because what that system, when it lives in someone's head, then it's too easy to forget about people. It's too easy if, you know, it, it becomes who's standing in front of me right now. What have you done for me? Who has done what for me lately? And it shouldn't be that way, you know. if Like a snapshot. Yeah, and, and it, it, we end up with the same folks, but if, if someone has to step aside for... A few months, something comes up. They have a big work project. They have something with their family. They are moving. They whatever. Um, you know, it sh they shouldn't do that, feeling like they're stepping away from BattleTech and they might not get back in. Now, there's been no real examples that wow that I can think of. I'm sure there are, um, but I'd rather to to your question, I'd rather have that formalized somehow. Uh, and that is something I think as we start, you know, Rain have gotten to a point where. We've got the schedule figured out. We've got kind of a, a cadence uh, for product. That was step one to kind of kill off the time debt that the Kickstarter imposed on us of just the backlog. And now that that's over, I think the stuff you're describing is, I think, where we, we should be looking to go. Uh, it's great that we have a cadence, that we have this kind of this this pattern down. There should be a process behind it, right? And all this stuff doesn't sound very exciting probably to a lot of fans, but it, <laughs> But when they wonder, like, why haven't I seen anything in six months? Or where's that thing? Or what's up? This is the kind of stuff that can help smooth that out and make sure that we, we're consistent. Um, you know, consistency isn't exciting, but it gets real exciting when you lose it and you have to start answering, you know, why is why are things not happening? Or so, not happening correctly. Tool, tools, like that, tools like that can help you find that cadence mm -hmm. of when... You know, we're putting out a product a month, and here's the amount of work that goes into. So, how far out are we? Yeah, I totally get it. Aaron, I got a, I got a two Tommy. part, yeah. two part question here. Um, sure. One, 
you're talking about contributors and and fact checkers and stuff. Do you guys issue NDAs to everyone and they have to like update them all the time? Because that's one thing that I think we haven't seen in Battletech is nothing's been leaked out, like to the extent where it sounds like it could. Yeah, I think so. We do. We have NDAs. Um, we NDA. I don't have a comparison because I haven't worked for other like I haven't worked for other gaming companies, so I don't know. I can't say that we do more or we go deeper or less sure. deep than other companies. You know what I mean? Because there are companies who would say if you're a staffer, you have to be yeah NDA'd. But they might, I don't know, hypothetically, they might NDA by project. So, like, you'll sign up, if you're on Tomorrow Rising, you'll sign an NDA for that project. Right. That's not the way we do it. We NDA basically everybody in perpetuity um, until it's canceled. And then there's, legally, I think there's like a year and a half until the NDA lapses or something like that. But it doesn't come up because, I think because we... All most of our contributors, if not all of them, and we NDA, I believe, down to the demo team agent level. Demo, the demo I know team we have is, agent, the demo agent, team is NDA. Yeah, Sandra, you, you, I have one. You are yep. right, right. Um, but I think all of that is our people who love the IP, love the game, want to stay connected to it. And to be blunt, I don't think there's there's still a reason to do it. But I just don't think there's enough reason for anyone to go violating yeah. it. Yeah, they don't want you to know, burn the bridge. Yeah, it's so understood that like, if you if you violate this, like we're probably not going to work with you again. <laughs> yeah. So most likely. But, but again, if you're if you're again hypothetically coming in as somebody who's just here to do the work, you're a, a writer for game product, and you just want to do the work. Um, but you don't have a connection to BattleTech. Right. You're not a Battletech person. Right. Maybe there'd be more of a risk there. Sure. But everyone that we NDA that comes up to us is a Battletech fan. No. You know, loves it first. I, and that, the penalty is to the, forget the legal penalties, the, you know, the, 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 the human penalties of like, right. You know, Burn. you don't get to have fun anymore. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> My, you, you lose your passion. My Why? other my other question is, we've talked about contributors and fact checkers and writers and and all these other people. Does it ever get to the point where it's like there's too many cooks in the kitchen? So it's possible. It has happened. I think in some ways, what we've tried to do more recently is build the teams by product, right? So we don't have. We have sort of a story group that determines the overall direction, meta, things like that. But like in Tamar, we don't have like a a writer's room like a TV show might have Mm -hmm. or like SNL where people pitch an idea and then there's, you know, six or seven other writers who tinker with it, develop it, mess with it. You know, it's kind of, it's, there's a developer for the book, there's the line editor, or the editor for the book, as the case may be. And there's the writers. And there isn't, like, there's not a, a sort of committee of the whole that gets put onto a product to look at the writing or mess with mess with it, you know? Sure. And I think that, to your point, that's what we're trying to avoid, mm-hmm. is a case where folks who maybe haven't been as connected to a product are commenting on it or changing something or feeling like, this isn't right, or I would do it this way. 
everybody has an opinion and no it doesn't mean opinions are wrong but at the end of the day you're absolutely right the more people you bring into a product the project you know, you're just asking for those kinds of yeah. differences to come up sometimes that's good but i think it's good earlier in the process the planning brainstorming those kind of phases but when we're actually making stuff i'd rather have as few people like as few people involved making it yeah as need as need to be it's always easier to, it's like kind of like a haircut you know it's easier to bring more people in if we need them than it is to try and like okay thanks please stop responding to emails now like <laughs> you can't do that it doesn't work once somebody's added to a thread they're on the thread mm -hmm. you know you can't you can't unplug someone that way so yeah. we try to be careful about making sure we're building the team pretty early on for who's going to do a product so I kind of want to pull back to your favorite Mac. By the way, you have no problem here for anything dealing with partial way. Perfectly fine. <laughs> you um, never know. Ah, you never know. Ah. I try and I try and not. If folks don't want to use certain levels of tech or they have a specific era or something, you know, it happens. As a Jade Falcon fan, I perfectly love partial way. But on the other hand. I have a question. Yeah. If you are still piloting the Wraith and the guy has the option of flippy arms, do you still jump behind him? How damaged are they? I mean, now we're running percentages, right? Like, what am yeah. I doing? What am I doing with that shot? If I'm dropping him with that shot, sure, <laughs> give, it a, give it a whirl. But if that's like the first damage they'll have taken in the back, no way. But there's other things you can do. Again. The actual shot almost doesn't matter. It's it's the movement, right? You get behind him and start skipping around back there, and it's that, I guess, in, in magic card terms, you'd think of it as threat of activation. Oh, right? yeah. It, it's, it's, I'm back there. Maybe I shoot you, maybe I don't. But do you want me back there? <laughs> it's sort of the effect. But no, to your point, like, believe me, I've gotten caught on reverse arms too many times to mention. Paul's... If you listen to this, might laugh somewhere like, "Oh, you thought I had those actuators? Guess what?" <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's the yeah. beauty of the wraith is you get to go into their backfield and run around. And unlike most mechs that you can do that with, it can take a shot and stay back there. That's Whereas right. you know most mechs you, that you can get back there, you know you get your spider back there. People go, "Eh, two medium lasers." That's right. You know, I'll shoot at it once; it'll die. But uh, with the wraith. It just doesn't go away. It, it's the threat that keeps on threatening. It's how the construction rules work, right? Armor, guns, or speed. Pick two. And pick two. Yep. You have it has armor and speed. It doesn't have guns. But again, I, I find that the those two make for some interesting moments at the gaming table. People panic. That and it's a really <laughs> cool looking mech. It is. They did a good job a on this. Great mech. It really is. I'm so starting to you, learn that the Hero Falcon is slowly becoming my mech, uh, my mm. clan version of the Wraith right now. So you, you, you picked a mech, the Wraith. What about a faction? Oh, yeah. You, does, you asked does, about it, does it go along with the Wraith? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not necessarily. Yeah, a few options. The cop-out answer, I have a real answer I'll <laughs> give you in a minute. cop-out answer is that I do try and stay neutral if only, and not because I'm some, you know, great guy and I don't want to pick because I, they're all my children and how do you know? <laughs> it's because I might have, it's because I might have to write for any of them. Oh, right? yeah. And oh, I yeah. need to stay, I need to stay open. 
I need to stay open to the idea of, and I don't just say this publicly, I actually think it when I sit down to write too, of like, I, I don't want to go so deep in one faction that's my favorite, and then find out that like, hey, we need 10,000 words on blank, and I don't know anything about blank because I've invested whatever reading time I have into my favorites. So it's less, like people say author fiat, it's less that I want to control the outcome in the meta for a particular faction, then I don't want to get caught being a mile deep one place and an inch deep another. <laughs> I kind of yeah. need to be a little even. Yep. That said, I mean, I have I have some favorites. I would answer it generally as any faction that has momentum behind it. And that can change from era to era. It, it always does. But the guys who are doing stuff, who are out there, you know, generating those story opportunities, generating, um, you know, the meta, generating scenarios, battles, things I can bring to the table tend to be my favorites, right? And everyone gets their moment in the sun. We do try and rotate. Um, I would say when I was younger, it was probably like a lot of folks, ghost bears, because they, you know, are very large and have all the clan mechs and are stable. They seem like sort of the good guys in some ways. I think they're not to me necessarily, but I'm, I'm repeating what others have told me about why ghost bears are their favorites, right? <laughs> they're, they're this fusion society. They have all the clan mechs, the best of both worlds, and they have a whole bunch of galaxies behind them. And that's fine. Yeah. That gloating I never would... goes away, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's I a think, fact. That's a fact. <laughs> I think some of the folks, like, to me, too, I guess my other part of that is any faction that has, like, Outworlds I was into for a while, or some of the periphery, or some of these parts of the Great Houses where you don't have unlimited everything. The Fedson's Outback is an example, too, of, like, when there's limited stuff, limited resources involved, when there's... You know, losing a mech matters. I don't mean that in terms of like the 3015 like era stuff, but when it's like we can't just make more of these, we can't just go spin up another regiment. I dig those kind of factions too, um, where they're you know they're kind of shoestring budgets, so to speak. You know, and there's a lot of uh, big risks. Things like you know when we take a swing, like this might be the only swing we get. Uh, there might you know we can't just fall back to our bases and try again in five years because it's just a border and who cares. Um, <laughs> but it kind of, they kind of go hand in hand, yeah. right? Those tend to be the ones that are generating action. They're generating story that are taking risks. Um, I realize I didn't name a specific faction, but it's because it changes. It changes depending on the era. Certain Good. eras have more, more of that. Some, you know, different factions depending on the time. I think that's the first person that's really ever said that, and I applaud you for saying that because I think that makes complete sense, especially with what you expect yourself to be able to do with your job. That that's awesome. Not really, a, not really an what, answer, but I mean, it was it, a, it was a pretty yeah, good one. I mean, it's obvious he just <laughs> said it's it's task. Yeah, so, it's a good political answer. He he just said like Red Jack Ryan because he likes the quick draw, and it's, it's the last true, mech that might be there. <laughs> Who's the Aerosung, right? Aerosung? The, no oh. the, not the notable Wraith guy. 
Well, oh, except yeah. in Legends, they gave him a stinger because, you know, Kickstarter. That made me so sad when I saw Eris song. I'm like, they're going to have the Wraith in here. No kidding. Or a stinger. <laughs> I was I was I was one of the main developers in that book. Believe me, why don't we just design the Wraith? And I was right. told, no, no, no. no. Like, <laughs> designing. No, we have plenty of new designs. Pick one of them. So, I mean, I'm I will sure. totally I'm... say, though, his scene with the stinger is like a great Battletech moment, but he's a wraith pilot it's it's on the cover of the book like come on come on people there were, there were a lot of choices with that book where we i think the goal with a lot of the when we had to make those kinds of like well, wouldn't he be in a wraith like yeah but i think the goal for all of it was like a a level of credibility like you just said like okay people remember that maybe that wasn't the mech he's a person's most associated with but there's a connection there you know you could see how we got there I think was the goal not, not as so much like really there in that like okay this was clearly because you needed to you had the kickstarter design and just wanted that like i think everybody's more or less uh we had a lot of battle masters too everybody was in a battle master battle masters that's i mean in the success for succession war you know if you're not an archer you're in a battle master that's, that's the true. way it is otherwise you're a, dead, you're, you're a dead character you know <laughs> I mean, I think that goes to the age. Once we got out of the, we had two problems. Once we got out of the, that with the Secession Wars era of the book, which had most of the characters, um, we started getting into like, when you get to the Jihad, um, Civil War, Jihad, Dark Age era, we didn't necessarily have comparable designs for those mechs. Some were made for that book. Um, But, you know, we didn't have... I'm trying to think of the one example. Hey, if and, we got a Mac, if we got a Mackie in there, you can do anything, right? <laughs> and sooner or later, you know, because some of these chassis and a specific generation of generation unit has been being repaired for over 300 years, sooner or later, you can't fix what can't be fixed, and you have to move on. Like, no, nope, sorry, the Wraith was a complete loss. You're stuck with yep. what's left in the motor pool, and guess what? You get a stinger, buddy. Like an <laughs> well, older mech. Well, we had the same, a similar question with, you know, some of these mechs just have to die. Yeah. Meaning the, the hero mechs. Like, they can't all just be preserved in a museum or recovered from the battlefield and restored. And Some of them just blew up, and there wasn't anything left. And some uh, of them were just stuck there and left to, to pay homage, like the 7th Bear Guards. I had the question with Grinner. What do we do with Grinner? I left it open. I was like, eh, I don't need to answer this right now. It's, <laughs> it's still in our coil, I guess. Somewhere. Now, that, now that you've opened that wound, you're going to get a lot of answers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's it. pink so and green. Cool. Cool. That's the yeah. other good part is I don't have to be the one that comes up with the answer. Pitch a story. Right. If it's a good story, pass, we'll publish it. Pass it on to somebody else. Like, <laughs> just because I'm the one writing it, I don't feel compelled to answer every question. It's a great rational story. Good. Great rational sure. story. Sure, tell me what they do. It's going to be green and gold. It's going yeah, to make knew, everybody cry. Sure. Well, so, the one thing I knew I didn't want was that Malvina, like, melts it down and turns it into a torture rack or something. Like, uh, that's the one thing I knew I didn't want it. Like, that's a great idea. That story I might say no to. <laughs> yeah, someone go ahead and pitch that. I mean, hey, if it's a heck of a story, I'm not the, I'm not the developer for Shrapnel. Phil, if Phil likes it, he buys it. Great. Oh, you know, again, but again, that goes to why I don't have a favorite faction, right? Because if somebody does pitch that story, and it's not what I would do, 
if it's a good story. Huge, right. huge wild question. Oh. What, ha- what was, or in your opinion, what was the most difficult product to bring to Fruitation, be it editing, be it retcon, be it fitting into the story, be it whatever? What was the most difficult thing, the product that you guys have brought forth that has been difficult? For or me- minus ill what was, the funkiest, what was the funkiest snake oil to <laughs> or sell? House Carita. <laughs> or House Carita. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask is for me personally, like me as a human yeah. to do yeah. or for like the you, company? You, no. you personally. Okay. You personally. And if you want to do as the company, well, that you would be great said too, it. The, the company answer is realistically probably Clan because of how many iterations yes. it went through and and all the, the changes that, that influenced what it became. I mean, that almost has to be the answer. And I'm only speaking for my. How, uh, I'm only speaking. How many? How many iterations? How many iterations did Ill Clan go through? Can can you can you give us an idea or a ballpark? At least three. The trick. The reason you, that note you hear in my voice is that we didn't like we didn't delineate them, right? It wasn't like a okay. movie script where it's like this is the blue pages and the green pages and the, the final <laughs> pink pages. It, it wasn't like that. The Technicolor it, it, Rainbow. Well, that's how they write, so they that's mark how they like, write them scripts in movies, based yeah. on uh, yeah, in, in yeah. iterations. W- with Ill Clan, it was a little, a lot more organic than that. But I would say there were probably three distinct versions, and it had to do with you know who the developers were and what the goals of the line were at the time. Because wherever that, and when I say Ill Clan, I mean the accompanying novel too. Wherever all of that leaves you, that answer kind of changed. I think originally, you know, people, this is not a secret, people heard about the time jump, right? This I'm going back years, like more than yep. 10 years. There's going to be a time jump. Well, if you're going to do that, then Ill Clan has to end in a certain place. It has to feel like a chapter break. Like, mm-hmm. that book is closed, let's pick up the next one. Um, you know, I'm, and where we went. Yeah, it has to, you have to feel like, all right, the, that era is over. That is done. And we're going to do something new. Where we wound up was because the decision was not to do that, not to do a jump, then you were able to do a version of Ill Clan that left a lot more open. You know, okay, so all the Falcons went to Terra, all the warriors, all of them, all of them, all of them. them. And that was the first thing we, the reason we started, the first book started with, was Tomorrow Rising, because we have to answer what happens to that OZ. You can't just erase the whole green part of that, light green part of the map. And then, like, meanwhile, over here in the NIOPS, like, you have to go right there. And, and my point being that all those iterations of Clan, it just varied what, what the goal was going to be coming out of it. I don't think any one of them was particularly, like, unworkable. You know what I mean? It wasn't being revised because, like, somebody got a script and, oh, my God, like, we can't. It just changed. It just changed based on what the line was doing. My own answer is a tie between Interstellar Ops and Battle of Takayad. And both of them for the same reason, the editing involved. Interstellar Ops was the first thing I ever edited. Ugh. First major thing I ever edited. Oh, oh my god. Barf. I, I, I still don't know how I did it. And I do know... I, I do know I did. I didn't have kids at the time. Um, 
I, Lots I, of caffeine. A lot of long nights. A lot of long nights. But that also was like... That was sort of like, okay, I know more than I think I do moment. <laughs> Both about the rules and about the game, right? Because there was stuff I could I could figure out. At that point, I had been playing again regularly for about three years. And playing with, again, Paul, who, who really taught me a lot about the game. I mean... You know, he's someone who understands this game at a level very few people do. Why the rules work the way they do. How the... And I don't just mean like he can cite chapter and verse, particular mech stats or whatever. I mean like the game as it's played. And he's a very good teacher of it. So all of that three years of knowledge got me through I.O. But there was so much stuff in there that... that I mean, it was just so much stuff. It's, you know, so much so that we're splitting, when we reprint the book, we're going to divide it. Um, we announced this on the forums recently. It's going to be IO Alternate Eras, with all the Alternate Eras material, and IO Battle Force, which will be all of the big-scale abstract combat system, um, Interspirit War, and the Battle Force stuff that was taken out of the st- uh, Strategic Ops reprint. Um, but imagine, I mean, smashing all that into one book and then trying to smash it into my brain at the time was a lot. And Battle of Takayad, because it was expanded so much from what it was originally going to be, and turned around very quickly. You know, we had a date to make. Lauren wanted that out on Black Friday. Um, so I had about 20 days to edit it. Oh. Which was an absolute sprint. That was rough. And rough too. I got a shout out to Lauren and uh, to Randall and uh, Ray, because after I finished the edit, they were up, like not you know working through the night those last two or three days to get it ready to go. Um, so both of those similar, you know, that was from my days as being the editor, but that's that was the toughest. I mean that that kind of stuff because you're just in constant fear that you're going to screw something mm-hmm. up. You know, I'm reading these tracks and I'm like. Josh and, and his team, they, they played them. I mean, they tested them. But I'm terrified that I'm going to change something that's going to totally screw it up, you know? I think this war chest point value should be 300, not 500. And I've totally off-kiltered the entire scenario. With one <laughs> With one key. keystroke. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that I, I don't like editing that fast. Because the, the chances... And I'm talking errors like what you discussed before about like continuity within the book or a canon mistake. Those are bad too. I mean like a, I I was rushing and messed up something kind of mistake. Um, You know, that, that scares me. You know, the, the one thing that I think out, I don't believe that there has ever really been. And this is one of the things that surprises me the most out of everything is I don't believe that I've ever really ran across a canon big picture story of does did it fit or didn't. I've never seen that mistake, which given the amount of words that are written, you know, one thing that was brought up in the AMA a lot was specific numbers will kill anything, right? If you say this factory produces X number of units per year or whatever, that will bite you in the ass later. Or even what um, units it produces in some cases. We, ab- minimally, we, we probably have to give you that, but like, then you start looking at, someone will look at that and look against a rat, one of the random allocation tables. You go, well, I don't think, you know, they have six factories that make this mech, but it's a 12. 
on the tables. It shouldn't it be like a you know that kind of stuff? And they're not wrong, but like again, specifics are both necessary and uh, problematic. And a killer. Yeah. And a killer. <laughs> is there just one thing? I'd, is there anything that you personally would like to tell the BattleTech community to just <laughs> like, hey guys? Just chill out a little. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Are we don't drop see... our F bombs now? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. Um, I I don't look at it that way. This is going to sound like a, another political answer, but I don't mean it that way. So I work in marketing. My day job is as a communications manager for a healthcare system, um, which is in the marketing department. And I don't ever want people to. St- I I don't want to dial back people feeling strongly about a brand or an IP because it's not a faucet. You can't just control it that way. I'm like, I need you guys to be a little less into this, but more <laughs> into this. We can, we can try and do that with product mix. We can do that with what we're giving you. But to tell somebody like, all right, guys, just get off our back about blank. I can't, I can't get there. What I would say to the community is make sure you're always thinking of the new player of the person who's coming in of people who don't know the ip well enough you know the demo team manager spends a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff and making the game accessible does a great job of it but you know with with a game that's growing like we are now that has product on the shelves people you know barnes and noble which you know, the first time I saw that, about blew my mind all over the wall. Because <laughs> the same Barnes and Noble that I bought some of the Dark Age novels from, that I bought earlier than that, some of the late Asa era novels from, now has a BattleTech. Something's called BattleTech back in that same store. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a huge, huge uh, feather in the cap of Catalyst. Yeah, especially when I go removing the shelves around to make sure that it's at eye height. You think I'm kidding. I was doing that every Friday for about six months, just making sure that it was, you know, Azul, Azul will be fine down here. They, they're, doing, they're doing just fine. Marvel Champions, not a problem. You're going to get there, guys. Barnes and Noble guys are like, oh, it's, it's the Battletech guy again. I assume that I was on camera because all these stores have cameras. I assume they're like, yep, it's Friday. Six o'clock. There's that guy. Watch this guy. Watch this guy. Right here. Right here. He's gonna move that box to the top. There it is. He doesn't know. We're just gonna move yeah, it. Yeah, it's just gonna seven start. o'clock. But, uh, Get the faces you know, to, out. To that. To to that. I've been I've been out at a lot of game stores the last two weeks and uh, been playing BattleTech with uh, one of the guys at the the one of the premier game stores in Minneapolis, and that has been. One of the things that that he's brought up often in communication with me, fully knowing that I don't have any any control over it, but you're just talking that being able to continuously have product on the shelf has been, in his opinion and in others as well, um, the bane, if you will, of Battletech in that it's very, very hard for a demo team and, and those that when you go out and you introduce the players to the game that they can't immediately go over to the shelf and make that's right. that purchase. That's right. I mean, it, it's a game to be loved for sure, but it's also a game to be sold mm-hmm. at some level <laughs> too. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, there were a lot of reasons, most of which predate 
me and my knowledge base as to why all that happened. But I will tell you that the, the best thing was making those box sets um, profitable within themselves. And when I say uh, profitable, I don't have the numbers. This is a case of like, if you were to ask me a point of like, I just don't know. But I can tell you that the, the way they were built was completely different than the early, the previous stuff that was hard to keep in stock. Um, because, yeah, they're great boxes, but they're also expensive to produce and require a lot of different components and things being put together. The fact they, they when I say they, I mean Lauren and Randall and, and the uh, brand, the catalyst, you know, the, the company, um, making those boxes able to be constantly printed um, and, and, you know, profitable within themselves, meaning that you could just sell that box. You didn't have to sell that box and sell the next three products down the funnel to get to a point where that box was worth having made at all. Um, I think it was what really ignited that. And then, of course, the Kickstarter. I mean, when you have that kind of visibility, you have people were coming back in to the IP. Um, you know, I th- we got people say like to say, oh, we got a lot of new players off the Kickstarter. That's true. But I, having seen some of the like the chatter and just sort of the synthesizing all of the, the talk, it's a lot of folks who are gone for a long time. And maybe they have coming back. Maybe they have yes. Maybe they have kids now. Maybe they have, you know, they just like I did. They were away for a while and came back. And I always, I always kind of look out for those people because I was one of them. And I was the guy. I was too. There you yep. go. I was the guy looking for a BattleTech game in my state and finding one. And it just so happened that it was, you know, one run by a group that was really dedicated and, and welcoming. And so I just always think about either for new players or returning. You asked what I would tell the communities. Think of those folks. I mean, the demo team has great resources and, and does a great job themselves. But really, anyone who's been connected to this IP that's really into it, think of those folks. Don't be the person that's that's being a gatekeeper or putting up barriers or getting too worried about like, but that's not how I play the game. It's more, because we hear that. Yeah. It's a long running game. It happens with any game that's been around. People have the way they play. But it's more important we, that people are, to play with than people playing are, your perfect way. I think. We, we are definitely we are definitely seeing a lot of that too with, with the 350 rules. Um, there's been a thread going on in the official forums about well, why isn't it 500? Why isn't it this? Why why didn't you do that? And why isn't it you my know, way? At the end of the why day, isn't it my way? Why, at the end of the day, you you you're reading words on a paper, and like I've done the last two weeks, I've introduced this to a few people playing, and they're excited going in. They're even more excited when we've gotten a chance to play because they actually start seeing just how deep the rabbit hole goes on it. By giving it a chance, instead of tearing it apart just because you read something and go, well, that's not how we play, try it. Uh, right. I encourage you, just just give it a shot. And if you don't like it, then you've at least you've given it a shot and you can make your own adjustments. Mm-hmm. And take this piece or, or that piece, but at least you gave it a shot instead of tearing it apart because you read words on a page. So. I think that's that's really important, and especially for folks who want to contribute to the game, or whether it's game side, fiction even, to kind of have that open mindset 
and you know when I go to new games uh, now that there's like three or four or five regular BattleTech games in the state, which is awesome to see. You know, I kind of yeah. graze. I'll, I'll st- even not play, just stop by and watch a few. And it's important to for me, I think, to keep an open mind and look at how people are playing this, the different ways. You know, what about it are they changing? Because if I start seeing consistent changes, that tells me it's something we should look at. Right? If four out of the six groups are all doing a certain thing, look at, you know, dice, movement dice. That was something yeah. that was... It's now in a book written in Battle Mech Manual. Movement dice. Well, it's, it's also in the Alpha Strike Commander's mm-hmm. edition, too. It was uh, in both. The, the, the colored by, dice. By intent. They're there. Because it was just and time. It, it, beautiful. It, it, it had percolated yeah. across the community. People had just embraced it. And it was just like, why don't, why don't we put this in the book? Like the one book, manual I'm thinking of, but it's true for, for Commander's Edition too. Just put it in the book that we're telling everybody they should minimally have play battle mechs on a map. Just put it in there. Don't make them go to the forum and read some like how-to introductory thread on page 37 where someone finally explains what we mean by movement dice. Like that's the kind of burden I want to take off. When I say think of the new player, that's the kind of burden I want to take off these people. You can't ask somebody. It's a marketing thing. You can't ask someone to start that deep down the funnel. You have to start them at the top. That's to right. Make it accessible. If if you can that, explain it the first time, the right time, and include everything they need, then they don't have to go anyplace else. So that is a question that we've asked Ray, and I believe we asked Brent as well. In your opinion, a new player coming in, what is their path? So that's a good question. We have talked about this specifically with how it's reflected on the website and how it's reflected in the product paper we put in boxes and stuff. Um, We need to... I'm going to answer your question. I'm also going to say that we need to start building that in and make it much more clear right so that when i have it we we as a company come up with that answer it needs to be everywhere and clear to me it is beginner box probably chaos campaign secession wars although that's now a couple years old so i might you know Answer. But it's a good introduction. It's a good introduction, a good introduction to that system. To, and to linked play, the idea of linked play generally. From there, probably probably game of armored combat because you'll need more mechs. Battle mech manual, you know, total warfare. But then we start doing the branching thing, right? Do you want to do RP? If you do, well, we have two systems for that now, Destiny and Time of War. If you want to do bigger games... Alpha Strike, most likely. I understand Alpha Strike can be done small, too, and it's great for that, but realistically, if you're going to play company on company, you're probably looking at an Alpha Strike game mm-hmm. to get it done reasonably. Um, you know, and is, I, but that's, is that's reason- to me the pipeline. Go ahead. Is, is reasonably considered, like, your time duration? Like, if, if a new yes. player coming in says, yes. I have this amount of time to devote to playing a game, which system would I should I pick up first? I think scale matters. And we don't, we have to communicate this part of it too. It's why the pipeline question is tricky because you don't instinctively know 
that a company-on-company game played by people who are at a higher-end, new, or lower-level, intermediate level of play will likely take hours, like half a day, maybe more, depending how fast they're they're going about their business. Conservative. Sure. Like someone like Paul and I could play company-on-company in probably two or three hours because we shorthand so many things. (laughs) Right? Because we've been playing a long time. Most experienced players could. But what I'm saying is we don't that's not apparent necessarily. We write it into some of the books sort of about how bigger games take more time. But you don't really know that until you've experienced it. And once you've experienced a negative like that, it might be too much. So what I mean is like on the back of every box set but like board game, you have, there's a time. Yep. How long does it take yep. to play? And we, yep. you know, we have to get to a point where that's a little clearer. See, and that's and that's something that uh, Catalyst, BattleTech's been around for 35 years. And the big eight and a half by eleven record sheet is that's that's the way the game has been played for 35 years. In uh, my opinion, Demo Age, having done both. Alpha Strike doesn't get due consideration, in my opinion. Um, doesn't get. Due if I were introducing a person, yeah. Mm-hmm. If I were introducing a person to this game, it would be Alpha Strike first, um, just because it fits into what it fits into the time frame, number of units, and complexity level that a lot of the other games that are out there are doing. Um, I, let's face it, my twelve-year-old, fourteen-year-old boy. When I introduced him to Classic, he got it because I had teached him Alpha Strike first. But if I had to go in first that way, I would have watched his eyes roll back into his head yeah. and gloss over because it's too much. It's, it's yeah. too much. I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I've taught I've taught the game plenty of times, and usually it's the you know what are the first things that people take away from Classic to make it understandable: critical hits and heat. It's the bottom half of the record yep. sheet. Mm-hmm. So when you when you cut that, what do you get? You get a sheet that looks like one, an Alpha Strike card, and two, it's the quick start sheets that we put in the, in the boxes, box. right? That's what they they look like. Um, you know, that's not new. I think that's pretty well understood by anyone who's, who's taught the game to anyone. The trick is when you get beyond that, they start to diverge. Systems become divergent, and you know, <laughs> I think stuff like the manual is a start. It's still a lot of pages, right? That's for like a, I'm into the game. I just need the book to bring with me on Saturday. Kind of a book. You know, what you're describing is more like I'm running a demo, like, because you're demo team, running a demo of the game, right? Like to people who have seen the box, not much more. So, uh, but no, you're right. I mean, Alpha Strike is... is I think for a modern wargamer, probably more like what they're used to seeing. Like a war machine or yeah. infinity. I mean, they're cards. Yeah. They're cards, right? They have little cards for all the units. Less documents to take around with you. Has there been any conversation, and, and I don't know if you can answer this or not, but is there any conversation to where is like, say, the next box set or the next big ticket item where, you know, it says an hour on the box? Do you go, hey, for an hour, here's a 2v2 classic. Or if in an hour, here's a, 
uh, eight on eight alpha strike or something like that to where someone can easily pick it up go well i got an hour let's try the 2v2 okay well did that here's an hour let's try the the eight on eight or the the four on four or something like that i think the answer to that so have there been discussions i mean not specifically we're always talking about the game the way it's presented you know the next things i mean that's always sort of a conversation to me that kind of a thing would have to be in like the little quick start booklet Mm -hmm. up front it's part of setup because i think you you give people the choice right of what they want to do but you have to i think to your to your point you have to make it very clear Mm -hmm. you know because most games do i mean this isn't like people want shorter games i think we're seeing that you know when I say people, I mean newer people. Yeah. You know, new, it, it's it's sort of obvious, right? I mean, here's this new game to try. It's called Battle for North Africa or something <laughs> like. That's just impenetrable. Um, but no, I think you're right. That there has to be. I I would hope that there would be a little more clear presentation of that. Well, one of the confusing things. Enough. One of the confusing things for me, especially with the game of Armor Combat, was. You had eight mechs, you had the quick start classic rules, you had the sheets, but then you had the alpha strike cards in there. And like somebody going through there like, well, what are these for? <laughs> and there there's was a lot of discussion. There's, there's, there was no rules there's, there. There's nothing, in the, there's nothing in the box set right. that says these are what it's for. Or even yeah. go to, here's the website to use these cards. Here's the alpha strike quick, M-U-L. the primer. There was a lot. I wasn't so I wasn't necessarily in the room for those conversations, but I know there were a lot of conversations about that. And I think my understanding—I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. I'm sure Ray will tell me if I am—that the the intent there was to one to make sure that Alpha Strike people picking up those boxes. Mm Had there's a little something in there for them, sure. Because while while the lines are divergent, we don't necessarily want to drop a wall between them. You know, at the, at the time there there was no like an alpha strike players. Here's your box. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't. So we want to make sure there was a little something in there that they didn't feel like. Yeah, I have these mechs, so this isn't for me. I mean, the new designs alone, I think, could have done it enough of that. Oh, hundred oh, percent, absolutely. And realistically, absolutely. that's probably only was like, ooh, there's alpha strike cards in here forget these brand new awesome looking mechs that's what i'm here for maybe there were but i doubt it um <laughs> no, but I we wanted a little they wanted to be that a little was, something in oh, there that happen. <laughs> yeah. that no, a little, a little something in there and and to hook them right people are like oh it's not a great way to do it but like oh what are these cards yeah alpha strike that was one yeah. of the questions when i introduced it to a group in sioux city this past weekend mm-hmm. um they great questions from the sioux city group of how do we get started in this? What should we start with? Like, how much time do you have? Was my first question to them. And then the second question is, do you like larger groups or smaller groups of units? And how in-depth do you want to play them? And then we had a we had a, a short demo with Alpha Strike. And then they asked, where do I find these box sets? And I gave them links, locations. And then okay. do these box sets incorporate both classic and Alpha Strike in both of them. And it's like, well, there's a little bit of everything when you start looking through them. Plus novellas occasionally. So there's a little bit of everything that you get introduced. You just kind of have to pick your niche of where you want to be. Do you want to cover lore? Do you want to cover 
board gaming? Do you want to cover large, small group play? How much time do you have? And then go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bill Case novellas at that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No slouch. And again, that this is like the nitpicking stuff that people that have been in BattleTech for oh, a long it's... time. That's what they do because we all know that we're <laughs> we nitpick all the time. We as a community, that's what we do best. Yeah. These are it's a unique gaming group. <laughs> well, that, that's that's for sure. But but no, these, these nitpicks though they may be. I mean, these are the kind of discussions that are important, right? That are, you know, I, I take this feedback to heart because, you know, people are out there teaching this game to others, whether demo agents or or not. You know, that's you know that's how new people experience the. It's true of any game, I think. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know. Just and shelf, shelf presence helps, but at some point you got to teach magic to somebody. And this is what he taught me how to play, yeah. right? So, like, you know, just because there's a lot of it on the shelf, it doesn't necessarily teach itself. And it's super important for those teachers and those demo people to play it well. You know, explain well, it well. And, your, and, and having and a your, positive influence. And to your point earlier, too, just about the fact checkers in that there are people who are really good at this and there are people who are really good at that. It's the same thing with the demo team, too, that every demo agent has a bent on I'm a classic guy or I'm an alpha strike guy or I'm in the between. It doesn't matter what I do, but as long as I can get somebody playing. Um, there's plenty and there's room for all you know, of it. There's really room for all of it. You know, yep. uh, that same <laughs> quick story I'll tell is that so there's that one game that I found at the local store. And we played for about two years or so. And then Paul and I went one time to look at the shelves where the Battletech stuff is. And we noticed, wait, I was in like a week ago. There's way less stuff here than there was then. But we haven't played since then. So who bought it? So we went up to you know the guy we know at the store and we asked, like, what kids, man? Like, you sold all those Lance packs. Did you put them on eBay or something? And he said, no, the Monday group bought them. <laughs> and I'm like, the hell Monday group? There's a Monday group? And they're, Monday group? They were like, yeah, there's like eight or ten people that show up to play this Alpha Strike thing every Monday. But like every Monday. And they buy us out of everything. And I'm like, you know. Where the hell have I been? <laughs> well, jokingly, I call them the East Springfield group. Because like the what? Simpsons, when they go over to East Springfield, oh, it's nice. like the same exact kids. <laughs> but but they had no not understanding or knowledge of each other. Went on a Monday, and sure enough, there was this entire group that loved... I mean, they had their long-running campaign, a mercenary campaign of linked scenarios, and they had tons of mechs and these great, you know, Z-scale Alpha Strike scenery. We're like, we had no idea you existed. And you're like, oh, are you guys, like, from the Saturday group? <laughs> like, the once-a-month group? Like, yeah, we are, like... Yeah, we heard about you guys, but you play classic, so we just thought we'd do an Alpha Striker. I like how par Battletech... Par par parallel universes staring at each other, like, <laughs> what are you? Ba Battletech, Battletech's the <laughs> new Fight Club. That was the first moment where I was like, okay, there's more, like, I felt really, really good that day, because this was in 2014 yeah. or 15, so the new boxes weren't even out. We're like, alright, there's a little, there's still a little juice in the squeeze yet. Well, ladies and gentlemen, now is our time for this uh, history brief with Charles Gideon Dirks, brought to you by Aries Games and Miniatures. We'll be right back. On this episode of Wolfnet History Briefs, one man 
with seven warships, establishes an empire. Hello Wolfnet and welcome to this installment of Wolfnet History Briefs, where we look at what happened this month in the Battletech timeline. I'm Gideon. Let's begin. We go today to the waning moments of the Terran Alliance. Decades of struggling to maintain control over the hundreds of colony planets had taken its toll on the Terran Alliance government. As the more prosperous and self-sufficient colonies fought for independence from the government, the less fortunate colonies became an unsustainable fiscal nightmare for the Terrans to support. These issues resulted in the Alliance making the Demarcation Declaration. This edict cut loose every colony more than one jump from Terra to the delight or dismay of everyone. Without the distraction of what was happening in the colonies, the Alliance's attention turned inward. The government had been rife with corruption and disenfranchisement for years, and its two political parties were quick to whip up discontent for a few poll points. The fraud was an open secret at this point, so much so, the citizenry stopped voting, knowing that the elections were rigged to maintain the status quo. And is often the case in these situations. A third party had a meteoric rise in popularity with those Terrans who had not been able to move to a colony. This is where the first major person comes in. Grant Zoli was the face of this new political movement. Zoli promised the masses a return to power for the people and a new kind of government. Being a gifted writer and policymaker, Zoli came to the attention of the two established parties. Zoli had grown up on the streets and had a penchant for playing both sides against the middle, which he did just before the elections of 2314. Both parties promised him power and wealth if he would give his voter base to them. And frankly, power and wealth were exactly what he was after. But he overplayed his hand and was found dead under questionable circumstances. Both parties blamed each other for Zoli's death, and what started as isolated incidents of mob violence escalated to full-blown global war. You see, both parties had been training and arming private armies of zealot supporters for years, and this was just the occasion to break them out. The Alliance Global Militia, the Planetary Defenders and Police, stayed mostly out of the fighting except for a few battles they were able to put down. This is where the second player in this story enters. Fleet Admiral James McKenna, leader of the Alliance Navy, who was himself a man with a checkered past, being busted in rank a handful of times early in his career. With Terra in chaos, he recalled the six other warships of the fleet to Mars, and once they assembled with his ship, the TAS Dreadnought, he made his way to Terra's orbit. There's a trope in storytelling where a person will fire a gun in a loud room to make people stop and listen. But what do you do when everyone is already shooting? Well, Wolfnet, you do as McKenna did, and fire a bigger gun. His fleet simultaneously erased an island in each the northern and southern hemispheres, and as the world stood in awe, he issued a statement. He promised the people of Terra a new government, and that he would wipe from the planet anyone who continued to take up arms in the names of the old powers. Which finally brings us to the 22nd of July. 2315. McKenna, who still hadn't set foot on Terra, issued his proclamation for the new government, which he named the Terran Hegemony. It is said, people danced in the streets of Terra cities at the news. After decades of dysfunction, they were elated to have something new. Better or worse, they didn't care, because different was good enough. 
primary among the changes McKenna put forth were restructuring colony governments. New governors would be appointed for each planet and be given the latitude to oversee things as they saw fit, though they would still be responsible to Terra. It was a blueprint for interplanetary rule that would be used for centuries afterward. Also, instead of re-electing heads of state every few years, a new title was put forth. Director General. An elected position where the vote winner would stay in office for life. Having just brought peace to Terra, Admiral McKenna rode the wave of positive public opinion to become the first leader of the hegemony. In one of history's most successful and long-lasting military coups, his brand of rulership would open pathways others would follow for generations. This is Gideon signing off, and remember, those who fail to learn from history are doomed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. You're listening to WolfNet Radio. That was just uh, this time in history with Charles Gideon Dirks. Thank you very much. And we're still with Aaron Kale. And next up, what can you tell us about releases? Yes, we want the releases. The good stuff. Give us hill uh, plan. Give it now. Before we yeah, hook up I mean, the battery. It, as far as I know, that's still that's still on track. It's uh, whatever the last date we said as of this airing is still accurate. Um, I don't know of any issues there. I mean, the fact is, uh, maybe we didn't make a, a good enough job publicizing this. Um, I don't think Tamar's you did. Tamar is at the printers. So that's oh. definitely on track. Wow. Like that is Ooh. happening. It's been, at the, it's been to the printers for weeks. Weeks. I mean, writing on that thing was finished back in, I think it went to the printer second or third week of May. That's awesome. And that is so it's been the cranking. next novel. That's the next that's source the next book. novel next source book. Source book. Okay. Yeah, yeah that the, one, I mean, based on, because I mean, Ill Clan has been like, a, what, a decade in the making? Yeah. But Ten months the, in the producing. Right, but the, the <laughs> amount of talk that there's been on the chatterwebs about uh, Tamar Rising, like, it, it's totally, like, replaced. Like, people, like, still want to see Ill Clan. People are still excited about it. But, man, Tamar Rising, everybody is just like, yeah. when are we getting this? I think people are ready to put the bow on dark ages and move on into ill clan and see what's happening and they want to know so they are totally pumped so yeah t tell us about tomorrow rising what could, i mean the time frame the well, yeah when is when does it play take place so it's 3151 to 3152 it's only about 18 months um because there's a lot to do there's a lot to do we're you know we have this group i mentioned before this kind of story group that's been laying out the meta and one of the intentional choices we made early on was to go a little slower. So you won't see like Shattered Fortress just doing five years at a whack. Yay. Um, because there's too much. When you zoom out to that level, you, you end up with like big movements of, of regiments, and, and there's just too much. Avoid. There's too much going on at too macro a level that it doesn't translate into a game. Like, okay, cool, I read that paragraph. I wanted to make this my game on Saturday. How yeah. do I do that? And tomorrow's chock full of that. The guys did a great job writing that stuff in. As you're going to see, if you want to try and refight that battle, it's it's specific enough for you to do that. It's not the, th I, the third Merrick whatever is shifted to this planet where they put down a rebellion and then moved to this planet all in one paragraph. Mm -hmm. That's too big. 
it's too big, but you have to do that when you're doing five years. Has that been has that been a conscious decision? Because we've seen that in the author writings too for fiction that the the story is much more descriptive in that exactly what you said i can translate that to my saturday game i would is that been a, when, a when you say thing? recent how if you mean in the last Four. six months or so divided sure. we fall divided mm-hmm. we fall when divided we fall was basically the start of it i think that really, was a couple of years so that, ago that, yeah that predates this but it's you know all of those run-up books to our i think were the reason they became separate books some of them um, you know, I I don't know. I think Blaine has said this in his blog, but like Children of Kerensky was parts of the original draft of Hour. Yeah, he's he's great. explained that I, to us that okay, okay, okay. Hour turned uh, yeah. into actually like two books or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what started that is when you have that kind of space, it's a question of space or or scope. So in that case, they had the space. You just had enough word count to get into that kind of stuff. For us with Tamar, it's scope. By scoping in to a, a less of a, a big span, could, we could get into that. The other more practical reason that we, we chose to do that kind of a limited time frame is that when we came up with the idea to do chunks of the inner sphere. So the next couple of books, I, I, I've said this on the forums, I should really do a web post about it where we're going to look at different chunks of the inner sphere. Define chunk how you will. It doesn't mean that like this is the Lao Fed Sons book. It's going to be different than that. When I say chunks, I don't mean it's going to be split on national lines. It'll be sort of areas. Just like tomorrow is not specific. What is happening What is happening in this area? You're, not, you're going with not quadrant. Specific. Yeah. Yeah. Give or take. Yeah. Quadrants We've, of the inner sphere. <clears throat> Can I get we've a this, square? We've heard this too. We've heard this too. Yeah. So, the reason to do that, the reason to do like shorter time frames for that is if you start doing too big time frames, like five years, or what used to be the Falcon OZ, it's going to affect something else. It's going to lock us in uh, somewhere else. Where if we want this to happen here, if we already wrote that this happened here, but we want this to happen over here, and it's five years of time, that's too much time that these guys wouldn't have responded to what's happening over here. Something would have come of it, mm-hmm. you know, and because we're planning these sort of head, we're working ahead, but not terribly far ahead. You start to get into problems when you make it too far out. But I think there's enough there. Again, our left us where we have a lot of stuff to get to mm-hmm. and not just our, but the state of the end of the dark. I'll stop saying, I would say the end of the dark age left us at a point where there's a lot to answer. And, you know, we, we did tomorrow that way uh, to really dial in on some of it. Uh, there's some great stuff in there. There's some new new faces, uh, new things to new, um, how do I say this? Just different, it's not the same, like, same factions fighting each other. Because, again, one of those factions isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it doesn't mean that we, you're going to see a lot of splintering, a lot of new stuff popping up things that weren't there before you know it's not a matter of okay now orange fights blue and they rush in to fill the void it's more complicated than that um you know people and the story always has been the political climate always has been much more complicated than filling the void which i'm glad you guys are 
taking the time to illustrate that. Well, and that's, among other things, that's Jason's influence. Jason Schmetzer is, is part of that group, and he was the one kind of telling us, like, guys, it's not all about just painting a whole bunch of the map orange. Like, he kind of pointed out at one point, speaking about the Hell's Horses in a particular case, guys, they're not going to take all three of these planets that have nothing on them just to paint the map orange. They're going to skip them. They're going to take the factory world. They're going to take the breadbasket. They're going to go for something. Or they're going to take a planet that cuts off somebody else in some way. You know, it's not just like, they're not looking at it like we are. There's just this map, and like, can we just move this line mm-hmm. to gobble up some more plants? And the other thing I would say about Tamar is that along those lines, all of the stories are really driven by the personalities. They're not just moving the map lines around. And this is, you know, this is dramatic because look how much of the map is a different color now. And there's some of that, but only as an extension of what people are doing, what decisions they're making, what, you know, what their motivations are, what their their goals are, what they're driving for. Um, I think that's been the advantage of having fiction guys in this group. So I keep mentioning the group. It's myself, Ray. It's no one you wouldn't be surprised to hear. Myself, Ray, uh, Jason, John, and Phil Lee. John Helfer's the fiction lead and Phil, the five of us. So, and we ad hoc anyone who's, we need to. Um, but I think having that fiction influence has been great. Yeah. Because not that we don't understand it, but it, it, it helps translate some of it into like, okay, but we have to write a book about this. Like a novel. Well, the, a novel. The, interesting, like, we need, the interesting thing is people either, very rarely have I heard somebody come into the game because they bought the box on a shelf. A lot of people come to the game either through fiction, through MechWarrior Online, or MechWarrior from back in '90s, or they got introduced to it as a gaming group or, or somebody else did. Um, fiction to me is is the driving thing of this game that is the bread and butter, in my opinion. And Tamar taught us a lot about that. You know, I, I think I've said it elsewhere. I hope I have. Tamar taught us a lot about how we need to make source books, how we need to make fiction. And we're not necessarily going to solve all those problems in this book because we, we had to get it done. And we may not even solve them in the next one, but we've learned and we're going to start working toward what you're describing where we're not making source books like we don't have fiction anymore. And we're not making, you know, we're making fiction. We have fiction again, basically that we can, we can do what you're saying again. And John's been, I mean, he's been absolutely driving that. And I think, you know, our is some, is somewhat a return to that. Um, you know, I say somewhat because for some people that was sort of I'm trying to avoid it was spoilers. People have had six months, but you never know. Yeah. Um, there was some feeling of like, all right, we had put a lot of road signs up for that. Right, so it wasn't a like, yep. and you know, I offer you this morsel and the, you know, it wasn't like that. Um, people <laughs> sort of saw some people sort of, at least in the big strokes, got it. But now, like you're pointing out, people excited about well, what's next. Well, it's done. What, what's happening? 
you know, we want to, I think it's okay, I can speak for the group, that we want to make the source books eventually, eventually, be the broader strokes, and the fiction really be the people that you connect to. Um, okay. And we should, awesome. I, I'm hedging because I don't know when the first novella is coming out related to this. I hope it's soon. But what's soon, okay. I don't know. So there is a novella um, tied to Tomorrow Rising. Yes, there's more than yes. There is more than one. I'm leaving little breadcrumbs, but what mm-hmm. I'm trying to get to is that we aren't necessarily looking at like, okay, so there's the Tomorrow Rising source book. Where is the novel of the source book? Yeah. We're not, we're not trying to novelize a you know a movie or whatever, like, you know, Alan Dean Foster's novelization <laughs> of Tomorrow Rising. Um <laughs> We're trying to actually write around stuff in the source book that will be in the fiction. Okay. So you're um, leaving specific plot holes or yes. or gray areas in the source book Correct. that someone because, will pick up the novella and be like, aha! Or, and not even like, that makes it sound, yes. The answer to that is yes, but not parts that are fundamental to understanding right, the source book. Right. Meaning we're not trying to make you buy the novella no. if you because there's a big gaping hole in the source book. It's more about this is something that we're gonna get into it's not a macro piece. Right. This this is a lot clearly these guys are gonna go off and do this thing. It doesn't affect the rest of the main thrust mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. But there's your novella. That is what the yeah. novella is about. These people we're not gonna write out two pages of, and here's exactly what happened to them. <laughs> That's in the novella. But a it lot. doesn't affect, it doesn't leave gaps in the source book, right? right? So if, if someone, sense. If someone like, buys Tomorrow like Rising, if someone buys Tomorrow it's, it's Rising, complete. it's complete. But then they read this novella, they're like, I know what's going on. Or I, I right. have an it's idea like, here. It's like, what, it's like what Spencer did in, uh, he took a paragraph out of Shattered, <laughs> out of Shattered Fortress and made a novella out of it. That's yes. that was beautiful. That's the that idea. Beautiful. I mean, again, he's on the group. That's that's exactly the idea. Is that there will be opportunities to tell good stories in fiction, but they don't like the idea of spine fiction has always been a little tricky because it 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 implies that one has to come before the other. Right, and it doesn't. And that that has traditionally been the case. We don't have to work that way anymore, because especially in the FASA days, so I've been told, you know, it took so long to get a book to print, and then through distribution, what used to take months and months and months and months in fiction, John can do, once he has an edit that he likes, an edited version of the manuscript, it takes him maybe two weeks at the outside to produce it. Sure. Even in, P- even in POD, just upload it. Yeah. So there's there's a much faster coordination that can happen, right? We don't have to tell Jason like, okay, see you in nine months, buddy. Hope you, <laughs> hope you have that book so that we can start writing our source book. And that's how it used to be. Uh, is here's the new sack pole, boys. Like, get to work on the source book for it. <laughs> so you you never had them close together. If you look back and you know go to Sarna and look at the dates of stuff, they never got that close to each other. Certainly not the same month. No. Or even before, like we're looking to do with, um, you know, some of this stuff. So I think going um, to that, 
So to follow up with that then, right? So you've got a source book that's coming out and you've got novellas that follow. And, you know, we've heard some conversation around creative juggernaut being able to, to produce, you know, specific mechs quicker, faster, better, whatever. You know, we've got a lot of folks that I'm, I, I know I'm connected with that I know there's a lot of stuff that's being created as far as miniatures go. Do you, do you what kind of relationship does Catalyst have with iron winds and what kind of pressure isn't the right word but is there any sort of coordination that can be done on that front where mech that shows up in a source book is available quicker than mm. two and a half years later it's well the, it's the, frustrating it's, it's frustrating for us because i mean like the ion sparrow it took forever for the hero falcon to come out um it's you see where I'm going. Well, I think the Dominator came out pretty pretty quickly, but I mean, pretty quickly being still in the scope of months, I suppose. I mean, the honest answer is I'm not part of. I was just gonna say I don't think that's in your wheelhouse. <laughs> I mean, my it, it just could didn't be, know if you had voice no, on it or no, not. That, that's a fair. Yeah. It's a fair question. I would say that you know, to my knowledge, everybody's doing their thing. That seems like a really kind of wishy-washy answer, but. Like, I'm not aware of any issues. You know, moving forward, when mechs appear, there has to, we're having conversations, and there has to be some thought put into, like, if we were to do, if we were to do something like a TRO, I mean, not if we do a TRO, but, you know, when when there is a product, <laughs> is, who knows, like, rec guides, weren't, rec guides weren't called TROs, but there's new mechs in them, right? So yeah. That's why, that's why I'm hedging, is I don't know <laughs> There's new mechs and there's new mechs being presented in something that is not called Tierra. So take that for what you will. But when there's a big chunk of new mechs, like once appeared in a Tierra in years past, right? Here's 30, 40 new mechs. That is probably going to come up, I would think. I don't know that I'll be in, in the room for those conversations, but I would imagine that's something that Ray and, and management would have to address. Right, because there are different ways was, to do things now. So when you have it was just it was just a follow on to sure, the, sure. to your you know your point of source book and novella to follow. It's all mechs, changing. Obviously, you know people people want mechs, right? Sure. So just follow on. No, it's fair. I mean, I'll say generally. I mean, it's amazing to me, even in just the five or six years that I've been really involved in production, how much has changed and how fast. You know, if you told me in 2015 that I'd be sitting there looking at a copy of the proliferation cycle in POD hardcover, I mean, that would have been like Futurama stuff. You can just make a hardcover. I mean, I knew I knew it was probably coming and theoretically possible, but I got a book sitting right over there that ain't theoretical. So, you know, things are changing very quickly, and I think it's it just underlines the importance of not doing things the way we've always done done them any good company shouldn't should be flexible thinking of flexible yeah that's a good way to put it and i that's, think that, i think books, good books like that have shown that there's flexibility with with the way catalyst does things at least um so you know. i want to get back to tomorrow rising and ill clan uh, sure, sure are there any so we've all read hour of the wolf like we know, have all of your listeners. No, you're not in there. Uh, no, not all of them. Tommy, Tommy's, 
Tommy's still waiting for the audiobook, so. <laughs> no, if Tommy's read it, everyone has read it. I have read it. Everyone's read it. So. In, spoiler alerts, anyone for oh yeah, for sorry. My own sake, well, so I don't get pilloried. Okay, so yeah, spoiler alert if you haven't read our. But are there any surprises in Tamar Rising and the Ill oh, Clan yeah. that Good. would overshadow what our what we know in Hour of the Wolf? Tamar for sure. Um, I mean, Ill Clan somewhat. I think it's tricky, right? To me, the Ill Clan source book, which I've I mean I've read it, I've had it, but. <laughs> I think I think it's I, my point being I'm not like just speculating I, I I would say that everyone wanted the old clan source book to be this big shocker right but that thinking also comes from a time when we didn't have fiction right when we had no um that was going to be how that story was told but see I it. I think our the wolf was the shocker you know you Correct. got the fiction That's first. my point. But in the source right. book, is there like depth? There's depth. Okay. There's not the there's not the shocking like, <gasps> like I can't oh. believe they did that. Right. Because that's the fiction. It's in the <laughs> it's in the book. But the depth, you know, the the detail that Phil put mm-hmm. into Ill Clan, I think for anyone who's it's an example of if you're used to reading if you're not much of a fiction person. You prefer to read it in this sort of historical overview, guidebook kind of way. Yeah, that's the book for it. You know, there's there's stuff in hour that that you know you read that makes sense. You know, that Blaine spent words on because they're great scenes. Of course, in a source book, they're not. You know, but there was a lot. We were just talking about. There was a lot shorter. going on behind the scenes in hour that was never. And that's an old clan. Is that's so an, okay? Depth. Okay. There, there's nothing you're going to open that book, I don't think, and be like, "That wasn't an hour, and it completely changes everything." Right. Holy but shit! They, right. <laughs> hey, it turns out the Falcons won. Oops. Like, <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> well, go give a heart attack. Go give they won in their. I argue they won in their own way. Addition <laughs> by addition they by did. subtraction. They did. Okay, it's like a sports team. <laughs> you participate sometimes, in trophy. sometimes you get sometimes you get better by removing things. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, but I, I mean, if I'm going to go down the list, depth. I mean. The, the Shadow Knight or exactly what happened with the HPG Fortress or um, exactly what happened to these units over here that we just kind of had a, you know, uh, Japan was just a giant, like, well, that happened. <laughs> yep. That's, yep. That's addressed, that's addressed cool. somewhat in there. Yeah. I, I know they were not... I know the point of that was to, it was written very closely off the fiction. In fact, part of the reason we've said this publicly for sure is that part of the reason that book took so long, and when I say took so long, I mean like in the last few months or so, was because Phil had to wait on a finished uh, draft of Hour. Yeah. You know, a finalized draft of Hour. That's how closely it was written. He literally wrote it with the book in one hand (laughs) to avoid all of the things that we know about that have happened historically where you know, the book changed yeah. or, or oh, we, something shifted and, you we, know, we had Blaine on for that. And it was, that was a, sure. That was a pour nightmare some, in itself. Pour some liquor out for the Jade wolves. Um, <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. But this book won't. Again. So Ilkland, we talk about surprises. Ilkland is depth. 
I think Tamar has some surprises in it. Now, one thing I want to caution people on is the idea that like every book is going to have some jaw-dropping, universe-shaking moment. The net effect of all of it is things are going to look different. Things are going to change. But, you know, our, our is, is our and ill clan. I mean, that's one of the major moments in Battletech history. Oh, yeah. So to hold that up, wait, you guys get that, but, but I feel, I fear, I fear that people are going to expect that now. Well, it They're is like, kind of well, a possible I, perception I out saying. there. Yeah. I think it definitely is. That I think people have this idea that we're going to keep, we're just going to yep. keep throwing dynamite and nothing but shock value forever. No, nah, we're not going to be Andy Warhol in it the rest of the time. People get <laughs> bored of that very quickly to yes, us. Because it, de- it desensitizes people. Well, and it desensitizes tomorrow, your customer. Tomorrow is about, like, about consequences. It's about consequences. It's about people choices. stepping up and making and really making choices. Not being floating along with the breeze or this is going to happen to us, so we're just going to deal with it. Really making choices and and the and facing getting opportunities born out of mm-hmm. choices others have made. The big one being, let's pack up all the warriors and leave <laughs> um, and lose. Because, of course, the Empire, Wolf Empire, is going to have the same issue. Mm-hmm. Yep. The difference being is they didn't lose. And they plan for it as well. Well. I guess what I'm doing. It is- wasn't a rush. It wasn't a rush downtown to yeah. to get there. Yeah, I mean they're hold, still holding some aces. I guess the way I'm looking at this is is from a new player coming in right now, right? Mm-hmm. So they're one. It's awesome for them because they have a new era to kick off and call their own, which I I think is awesome. Like I got in in the succession or the the clan invasion so i was like oh that's my era uh, andrew you got in 3025 that's your era but if you go back and you like if they're gonna go read everything else there's a lot of like huge moments it seems like every 50 years mm-hmm. so with ill clan coming in it just kind of feels like oh there's gonna be a big thing 50 years from now the next big mm-hmm. thing well, that's the argument. I, I think what you're describing is the argument for a time jump, where you just skip ahead to that point. And people, you know, that those words have gotten very loaded in the last ten years or so, um, and the, it, folks have been around the community long enough. But I mean, twenty year update was a time jump, and it led to the clan invasion, which everybody loves. So, not everybody loves. Many people love. So, you know, there is arguments for it because at some point when you blast everyone down so low you have to give them time to rebuild yeah or you have to be willing to start erasing things which doesn't always go over well either so this is well, this is look a, at jihad <laughs> jihad sure. was that was a broad stroke of this is gone you know well, it's oh, an example it didn't, it's a good example of burning everything down a little bit right so when you talk about what well, kids did this time jump and you know whatever yeah, but they kind of had to. Like, yeah. I've always been sort of a defender. They had to close that. that door. Yeah, they had to close that box. Because at the, from what I understand, the Jihad plans were around when FASA closed. It's in the beginning of Dawn of the Jihad, the little developer's note in there, is that they knew as far back as the clan invasion, there would eventually be a Jihad. Now, they only had those words, like that sentence and this one explaining it, right? 
Like they didn't have, you know, a long amount of um, detail on it. But as it got closer, and eventually I, I take it, I'm told the time Fossa closed, they sort of knew what the job was going to be in broad strokes. So when WizKids, I assume Randall could probably correct me on this, that WizKids had to jump ahead. Yeah. Like what was going to be, you know, however the job planned out, that certainly doesn't sound like something that we're going to be able to pick up from two years later. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think Tamar is a way to walk the line between those two things of either not having anything happen that's major or burning everyone down so low that, you know, we have to skip ahead because there's just nothing left. Well, I think tomorrow is an attempt to walk between those two worlds of things happened, our happened, ill clan happened. There are very definite consequences, but we're going to stick with it. We're now not you have skip to, ahead. You, you have like this um, apex and then it has to settle somewhere and this would be the settling. Yeah, but there's new stuff that comes out of that, and to me, the new is what's exciting. Yeah, the new rising the action. Like, yeah, there's some new phase, you know, new characters taking the, you know, taking action, new new stuff coming out of it, you know, the new Gray Death Legion coming out of it. I think if that doesn't get people a little fired up, you know, that's, that's awesome. sure. I know it makes one guy can- happy. <laughs> that's pointing that's, at his yeah. tapestry. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, there's. There's excitement in the new. And I think you mentioned it earlier about, you know, people are pumped for this. And like, yeah, I hope they're not pumped for it because they expect us to keep blowing things up. <laughs> but they're pumped for it because, like, this is new. It's a new era. It's new stuff. Well, that and we haven't had this in 15 years. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say the exact same thing. This is new territory. Randall asked a long time coming for Battle. Randall on, on one of our our Battle Type production calls, I think last week. Randall just sort of mentions offhandedly, he's like, "When was the last time BattleTech had fiction and source books working together at the same time on plot?" The answer is probably Twilight of the Clans. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah. Oh, 20, that's 20, so 20, sad. 23 years ago. That's so it probably sad. probably is. Because everything else after that was was, was one or the other. Shit. That's <laughs> what it was. Some here. Well, you take and, take it for what you will, but the point is that there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of or there wasn't a product in the case of fiction or there wasn't, you know, a focus on this is what we're doing, this yeah. is where we're going. Here's the meta plot document. Let's make stuff. We're just excited um, because we're getting cool. new stuff all the time. Like it's like, oh, just wait till tomorrow drops, and then it's well, and I think be- and- I think beyond oh. that too is um, that I think like you, we've been talking about, like a lot of people are coming back. You know, mm-hmm. I think that the 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 jump from Civil War to Dark Age, and then kind of the fill in with Jihad and like all these people you loved, this they all died. That's the end. We're moving on. Um, Whereas I a think, bunch. well, right, a bunch. But I think that there's been a, a there's a really strong feeling of okay, Catalyst is trying to kind of pad this all in now with the lead up to our, and get us like kind of just back on track with what's going on. So people are like, okay, now I'm I can get kind of reinvested and learn about these new characters, and I care about them because. 
the jihad dark age, it was so abrupt where it was like, well, here's some people care about them, you know, whereas now it's like this, right. you know, my, I, I see my factions coming back. I, you're not necessarily coming back, but I, I see the people in them and they matter. They're not just a random name in a source book, you know. So Legends was step one with that. I, you know, I, Ray and I sort of both together mapped out what that book would be, but from the very start, earliest conversations, I wanted an ill clan era chapter chapter of people who are not legends yet Ooh. will be and that's that was the visioning of that last chapter of legends is that some of those characters we know i mean julian's in there but he's still around he's going to be a factor in this era crazy to think otherwise but there's folks in there that we've never heard of abdun recall who's becoming one of i think the distinctive era character will be one of the distinctive characters of this era um, Bell Carlisle, Colonel Aaron like Kroll. I mean, he's got st- <laughs> he's got great story. <laughs> there's there's new there's new faces, but there's connections with them. The two characters I just mentioned both have last names that anyone who's connected to the fiction or knows will recognize. These are not you know we're not necessarily trying to say everybody has to be related to somebody, but there are feelings of connection to it to to what was and and i think that helps the other thing i'll say and we're not quite ready to announce it announce it but the easiest way to say it is we're aware that there's going to need to be a starting point for people coming into this ill clan era and that's going to be the very next product after tamar is a a table setter kind of product that that was going to be one of the questions that I had for we're you is is well that aware of that there's we get, a bunch of new people that have a lot of reading to do if we don't do this for them so we're gonna do it for them we have to we get a lot of questions we get a lot of questions about okay I'm coming back where do I start yep what's the thing yep so in, in, that that is something we get a lot in the pipeline that you mentioned earlier when you asked me what was the pipeline there's a to us a very obvious missing element and it's the setting setting okay where do i where do i start because there's a lot of history yeah you're gonna you're gonna basically get an associate's degree in fake future history (laughs) 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 it's about as many hours it feels like um start with these first 127 bucks and and that's a strength of that's a strength of the line though I, I personally feel it can be both. that is a strength of the line. It can be both. Yeah. Well, okay. Fair. It's both. That's fair. The, there is, it is rich, but so is chocolate. And if you eat too much chocolate, <laughs> you'll die. You're going to get so, <laughs> you, you will choke on it. So I think there is a way to present that depth. You have to give some people somewhere to start. Right? Yep. It'd be like saying, I'm interested in this thing, and I hand you like 900 pages worth of reading. You're like, whoa, man, I said I was interested in this thing. I'm not ready to dedicate. <laughs> That's a lot. But it's tough. That's That's a chapter. Lot to digest. Give me a chapter. Right, because I think as fans, I'll speak as a fan here, the natural inclination, and this isn't Battletech. I'm not labeling Battletech fans. I'm saying anybody, any fanship. The natural inclination, if you're really into something and somebody asks you about it, is to expect they will want to be as into it as you are. <laughs> it just is. I've yep. seen it a yep. thousand times, and it's not battle. It's everything. And the, the trick, this is sort of a marketing thing, you know, it's it's to give people a, 
the funnel idea, right? You have to start them at the top of the funnel and, and give them ways to get to the bottom of it. But you can't assume that, like, you know. You don't want to scare them. You'll start at the bottom, right? And I think for many years, to me, speaking only for myself, not the company, that's how Battletech was marketed. Look at our vast wonders of of the decades. And that's really intimate. Like, you know, choice... Like uh, Jason says it better, but it's some of the effect of like choice confuses and alarms customers. Like that much choice. Yeah. They want to yeah. know what the next thing is. I'm interested. Where do I go to be more interested? All, all, um, all email campaigns work this way. If you said you're interested in this, or here's an email saying where else you could go if you're if you like that. Amazon recommendations. Same way, people who I'll, people who bought this hate, also bought this. Maybe you'd like it. Um, I'll say I'll segue I'll segue into three fifty. We have a lot of folks asking us what are lists, and that's that's a hard thing for us to answer because it varies on the person. So, <laughs> totally get what you what you mean by that. And <laughs> usually, know. usually we tell them to pick a faction, and then that leads to lists. Or rats. Well, and rats are about the closest, I think. We're going to, I mean, it, it's definitely one of those things where very, anytime someone mentions combat manuals, I, I, mm-hmm. I say we're aware that they're not splat books or are, you know, codexes, uh, lest I invoke that name, that, that other systems have. That puts a lot of that then puts I think a lot of the onus on the what you just talked about pipeline presentation like you have to do a lot of very careful funneling to make sure people know what to do next because it's not as it's not as simple as pick up the book for your guys that you know you're you've identified with or whatever um, but I don't know so, so speaking of pick up the book for your faction. Are we gonna see any more of the combat manuals? We want to. We, we Ray and have, I are both. I would love. I would love Ray to have I, you guys finish. Ray and I are both defenders of them. Um, you know that was. I still think it's. I tell him all the time. It's the nicest book he's ever laid out. I think I, these things are great. Um, I love them. We do. I think they're. The, I think they're a showcase. To me, step one is to get the the two that are out into POD. I really want those available in print on demand. Um, because. Otherwise, you're just telling people that unicorns are great. But like, <laughs> if, I, if I can't if I can't buy one, and I mean, think about that that player, that that person you talked about. Like, oh, there's these things. Okay, where do I get them? Oh, you can't anymore. Okay. Biggest, thank, biggest, thank, biggest so, dick knocking the dirt right there. Thanks, it's the like, worst. Thanks for the title. Like, well, what are we talking sure. about? It. Thanks. That's right. Thanks for the title of the episode, by the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anything no to make you happy, boss. That's right. So step one is to get those those two that are out back in POD. Um, and then it's all about figuring out the right vehicle to make sure we keep producing them. I don't want to just make the one more that's sort of already written, right, Davian? Like, I want to make sure that we have a plan and an intent and a goal to take all the rest of these and we're doing something with them right i don't want to get caught in this hamster wheel of let's just make a bunch of stuff because lord knows we love doing sets of things (laughs) and 
we're just going to keep Handbook House Corita is before my time. Um, but I get the, I get why it was it took forever to come out because it's okay. it, it's the set it finishes the set, but hmm. it, it it in and of itself was difficult. I take it difficult to produce and expensive, hmm. and wasn't necessarily earning. But you get into this thing where it's like, but there's one you know this this need to have the complete bookshelf. But that's not um, all. That's right. So if we're going to do combat manuals, I don't want to do one more. I want to do them all. I want to do them right. And if that means it takes longer to do any of them, I'm fine with that. But to just churn these things out because they all exist. When you say all of them, when you say all of them in your mind, what does that consist? That's another more great questions. How many are we doing? Okay. How do they break down? That's just it. I mean, that's but that's exactly the kind of question I want. I want to hear asked. Is what are we doing? What are we doing with these? How many are they? How do they break out? Are we doing? How are we handling clans? How are we handling? You know, yeah, that minor was, powers. That was gonna. That's, of course, that was the question. That was the lead for the question: is how are you going to handle clans on Al- that? Right? Alpha strike. The houses. The houses sure. make absolute sense. Sure. Alpha strike is clan. Alpha strike is fundamentally yeah. is fundamentally set in thirty fifty, ish. So we're going to be okay. putting out. You know. I, it just raises a lot of questions, and I don't have answers. Nobody has answers to this stuff, but it raises the point I'm trying to get at is that raising these questions, answering them helps determine how soon and how we'll see these books. They're great. Look, I mean, they're great books. I think they're, um, there are avenues to get them out. The wrap on them is they weren't profitable, right? But I keep trying to correct that. If I do nothing else and in my time with this IP, I will try to correct that, that they were, they were expensive to make, but a lot of the models, a lot of the 3d models that were made for those books are still things we're using. They were, yeah, I guess you could think of them as lost leaders in the sense that maybe they didn't have an exact product they were leading for, but like the cost that went but into they this. they stemmed other products. That's right. They stemmed other That's products. That's entirely correct. The costs that were sunk into those books allowed savings to make other products possible. Not just better, I mean possible. Again, I don't have the exact numbers, but this is, I've been told and I believe. So, you know, people say they didn't they didn't sell well enough. I mean, they sold as well as anything did at, at that time. Um, but when the cost is so much higher, you know, they become tougher to, um, tougher to make. And, you know, it, it's the same thing. I wish there there had been a good sense of how many there were going to be, what the plan was. I think they were sort of like, let's make them because they look cool and they're great books and they are. But I don't know. I'm mm. always I, I always like seeing. I don't know. Maybe it's the marketing thing. Maybe it's just how my brain works. But I always like seeing a, a plan for the whole thing before we do one thing. That makes when, sense. Just me. Yeah. It wouldn't go in kind of off of the like how successful that that piece because from like the fan side of things it really feels like um some of the new initiatives like um like the wreck guides and shrapnel have been like quite successful i mean it, it i i sure feel like that like yeah we, we I, have, agree with that. I agree we have people in our in our discord every other friday going you know like or every Friday saying, "Is this a rec guide Friday?" 
And then when it is one, then you know because our channel that talks about mech design blows up <laughs> because they're yep. going through yeah. and dissecting every mech in there. So, like, is that going to be... Like, should we expect more of this? Or is, like, how is that going to affect, like, going forward? Is it at all? I mean... Well, I guess I would answer that by saying we're not going to do, like, Tomorrow Rising in, like, 17 installments every other Friday, <laughs> right? Thank like, you. there's still going to be... There's still going to be source books. There's still going to be the books. But, you know, we've done this with many PDFs. We just have not quite gotten to a point. I mean, we did last summer for damn sure. Uh, whether we were cranking out, whether it was rec guides or, or pouring the stars or spotlight ons or, or turning points, there's a product pretty much every week from like late May until September with I think one or two misses that we still have to put out and are going to do so soon. Um, so to answer your question, I want there, I would like personally, I would like there to be consistent product, new product. Yes. And if that, that is. Yes extremely important because you can't just assume your audience is going to stick around to see what you do next. You have to keep doing things and they will stick around. It's the opposite. Um, Agreed. Johannes's work with the rec guides is tremendous and it's tremendous because we have missed one date, I think out of 18. I think we had to slip one date and it was by like a week or two at most. Otherwise, when I put out, because I put together a schedule form of when the cycles will start and end and the, the bi-weeklies, and they hit them. They hit them every time. Um, sometimes it's more of a scramble. Sometimes they're working here further ahead. But I think that consistency, again, consistency isn't sexy, but it's effective. And that's what we're trying to get to. So... You know, rec guides, I don't know what the future is beyond 24. I don't think we're going to go to 25. I think it would be a similar thing in a different vein, right? Like, I don't think we're just going to keep making them forever. We'll do something similar, probably. Um, Brush Wars is, we just had a call about this this week. Brush Wars is very close to getting into active development. Reactive, I guess, considering active under the new, under Johannes and, and Eric Saltzman. Um, and they have a whole bunch of stuff mapped out for that. Like, I was stunned when I got the original list of what mostly Eric, I think, but Johannes too, came up with. So once those get cranking, you know, they won't be as frequent as Rec Guides because they're much longer, they're much meatier, but they have planned much meatier um, installments. But they'll be a regular thing. You know, I'm, same same deal we met with uh, Josh Parian, who develops Touring the Stars and Spotlight On. We have sort of a rough schedule together to get those flowing, starting with uh, the two spotlight ons from the Scorpion, the Hanseatic Crusade that we missed last summer. Awesome. Those are not dead; they're still there. We, they're close to coming out. As is the touring, the, a... touring the stars connected to that Granada, um, so we can finally tie off the Umayyad. What are the Umayyads thing? Cal- Caliphate, yeah. Um, as a so as a demo agent, I I can say I love those spotlight ons. Those they make it really really easy to get units created that are period and faction specific. That yeah. allows us to do a lot of interesting things with. So that's an uh, you know outside of combat manual, the spotlight on product series is one that is close and 
near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I, I love them I, too. I, they fill a great niche. They fill a great niche because in several ways. Um, they, f- they give us a place to talk about units without having to force them into a book or yeah. like gin up something. Because let's face it, the, the universe should and is full of these kinds of units. Full of them. They make for great stories, make for great tabletop play, but are not going to carry a novel or a book on their own. Or even in, in triplicates or five or ten of them. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and they also fill a great, I think, um, niche for folks who are coming up as contributors. You know, it gives us a place to put people, which is important. Um, to give them reps that are, you know, at length. I mean, these are not short products. Um, and, you know, we need that kind of, talk about pipelines, we need that too. You know, we need to be able to, to step people up to, you know, being able to do half or all of a source book potentially. Uh, when, when, if all they're writing is, you know, short shrapnel pieces, I mean, it's a great place to start for anyone, but, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to look at that and be like, could you do, you know, 25,000 words, you know, working on a team to build a whole source book? Uh, that's intimidating. I, I would be intimidated by that if I was someone who just turned in like 3,000 maybe words less even. So. Charles, he's talking swing. to you, buddy. Yeah, I'll take a swing. Charles, he's talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Swing. Big swing. Yeah. Oh, we love him. Yeah. They're talking about uh, shrapnel author Charles Gideon. Yes. Uh, <laughs> shrapnel one. I'm I'm thrilled that we have shrapnel because it is it is a that talk about filling niches. I mean that's that was you need something like that. If our primary way to source contributors is through you know fans of the IP, the brand, then you you got to have something like that. You just have to, um, but it's it's a I mean, great product, this, really is. At this at this point in in the history of BattleTech, as a contributor, you almost have to be a fan of the IP to even be able to dip your toe in, right? I mean, yes, and that, with the amount of true. words that are written, it's it would be. I would think it would be very difficult to try and step in without having done. A, a lot of research to start. Which there again, strength and a weakness, right? I mean, the strength is we get folks sure. who don't need... We get folks who aren't going to pitch an alien invasion story, right? <laughs> yeah. Because they understand <laughs> no. Because they understand that why why that laughing is that they get that. Right? Not they yet anyway. Laughing, like, what did I say that was funny? What do you mean? They get it. But <sighs> wait, wait till you see they, my iteration. <laughs> No, the, the the bird people again. The bird. Uh, <laughs> sure, but that's what I mean. Is it's a strength in that way, but it's a weakness also because the concern is that you would get too dialed biased, in. biased, biased, and also Faction even biased. even wow. worse than that. You, the it, you get a twas always thus factor of like well, this, is just, this is just how we how not even how they make things. How, this is just how we make things. This is how BattleTech does. But there's no out of the box. To, you have to be able to innovate a little bit. You got to get some fresh blood moving. You know, hey, you know, one of the one of the people that come to mind for that is uh, Lance Sarkini, the Black Marauder. 
his first foray into BattleTech really took it in a very different direction, but it was a fantastic, absolutely fantastic story that he continued. And I thought that was super, and it was a great way for him to get into well, and into the fiction. He wrote he split he wrote half of Tamar in the main bar. And if you like that kind of stuff, he does exactly... Ray referred to him as a great dot creator, where some people can can you know, connect dots or extend them. He creates dots, which is great. And we, we're with, with them, and, and we're trying, to, we're trying not to, to keep going back to the same folks. We're trying to pair folks who really have been around a lot with new. Now, on tomorrow is a little different because both Eric and Lance were, were first-timers writing at that level, and they killed it. They absolutely killed it. I can't say enough good stuff. Um, but I think they played off each other so well because they were both bringing something a little different, right? Lance has um, Lance and Eric both have a, a mastery of, of the universe, but they see it in different ways. They write in different ways. They, they do things. So it's, you know, to me, the two the two person teams writing these these main source books, I think, is a good model. I worry that if we'd have one person on it, that either it'd be too much for them, or that it would be too much of one vision, right? And if it's the wrong one, then it ends up delaying things, and we got to edit, we got to refigure the whole book. Like that's what I was saying earlier about having the books separated out by different people doing their thing that they like to do. You get everybody doing their best work in the thing they're best at. Instead of saying, like, okay, guy who likes writing about blank, time to do some rats, time to do some chaos campaign tracks. Like, well, I've never written one of those before. Like, great, give me 12. But we've done stuff like that. We've done things like that sometimes. (sighs) And it it makes for for tough sledding. I mean... Um, now that said, if somebody wants an opportunity, I'm not going to say no. You're not, yeah. you know. I don't mean to pigeonhole anyone. Give them the option. That's right. If they say, Whatever. like, hey, I'd like to take Comfort. a crack at it, I might not give them all twelve and put a all com- my eggs a, in that basket. But yeah, a comfort a zone. Couple, sure. That would be a you full know, dozen, give- by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here for comedic relief, Aaron. <laughs> no, say no. I, I love it. <laughs> so, uh, what do we? Uh, what does the average day for an assistant line developer look like other than trying to keep Ray sane? Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because, so when I read that question, Nirima, I started thinking about it and like, <laughs> he has the show notes. Know, He's not supposed to have the show notes. <laughs> I, I assume they would just be at the bottom. No. Um, so unlike, unlike Ray and, and management, I'm not a full-time catalyst employee. Um, I have a I have a day job. I have family. I have other responsibilities. Um, yeah. From what so, you've just explained to us over the last two hours, you're just like, this is just my part time thing. <laughs> it, it, That's it, crazy. It is. It is. Yeah. But I think the answer then is that I have to use my time really carefully, and I have to make sure that I'm both working effectively and not going down rabbit holes. And I'm not always good at the second thing where if I see something yeah. and the, you yeah. know, I see a comment or I see something, I'm like, cool. Hey, we should, <laughs> yes, I do the, the thing with like the, I guess the wraith in that analogy is somebody pointing something out 
in some forum or somewhere that I think is a valid point that I'll bring to Ray and we'll chat about. I'm like, yeah, okay, but that's time. Anyway, they probably need to do. Mm-hmm. So, average day, I mean, it, it just depends what's cracking, what we're working on. Certainly, if we're close to a deadline on a particular product, you know, I have to be careful because I need to make sure I'm, you know, it's usually like early mornings and nights, a lot of it. You know, Ray and I have a pretty much constant chat going here and there um, just to discuss ideas, stuff that pops up, whatever. But actual working time is right now, like when I'm doing this, right? Yeah. Um, this, this isn't something I could do at, at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday <laughs> and have, you know, work meetings and, and responsibilities. Um, so it's a lot of it's a lot of early mornings and late nights. It's, you know... Assistant's an interesting thing because there hasn't always been an assistant. And when there has been, the assistant LDs have been different people, right? There's like the FASA level where they were staff and they were, you know, folks who either like were expected to then run the line or you know, had, had just very different job descriptions. Um, for myself, the way I look at it, you know, I try and take on some of the managing the writing and the words because Ray's expertise, his personal expertise is in graphic design and art. So like when, like I don't work with Brent much. I mean, we all work on the same team, but like he, he handles a lot of like art notes and like how should things look, you know, if Brent has an issue with something, he goes to Ray for that. Not, not me. Do you ever but see him like crumple, Do you ever see him like crumple something up and just like throw it across the room? <laughs> the virtual room, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I've yeah. never. Um, no, no, no. He he handles um, he handles all that better because he has the language for it, right? I don't. Uh, if I see a piece of art, like I guess I like it. It's cool. But, like you know, Bray and Brent can have a much more intelligent discussion about like. How should this look? How should this feel? Did this guy follow our art notes or does it need tweaking? The the flip side is I come from a words background, right? With the the writing and, and editing. So I try and help out more with that if I can. Not that Ray is not a words guy, he is. But when he's consumed with the other stuff, a lot of that falls on me. Um to to manage and I don't know. I've jokingly described myself as something of a combination of race therapist and external hard drive, <laughs> which is kind of the way I guess I look at this position is I'm Ray's assistant, right? Not the assistant to Battletech. <laughs> what I what I mean is that I I yeah. I work for and with him yep. and whatever he needs. That's and awesome. he works for what the line needs. So I don't like it's un. Somebody asked me once, like, do you and he ever disagree about stuff? I'm like, sure. Basically, basically nothing major. No, because I don't. I, you know, again, I work most on an operational kind of level, a production level. I don't. I don't. I, you know, I don't mean like when we're sitting there in a story group meeting, we don't like discuss stuff. We do, but I don't. Um, I don't really see that as. My, this is going to make it sound like I just yes man him with everything but i you know generally we see things the same way 
When we've talked with Ray, it, it's easy to agree with Ray. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he, he's Honestly. awfully right. <laughs> he's like a kid with figurines. That's all you got to do is just give him miniatures, and he makes it run along. Just like you being with books and words, you make things run along. It's, it goes hand in hand, miniatures and books. Done. Well, I think that's why the way it works too. Is not that I would I would ever smither somebody, but like it's hard to it would be hard for me to be an effective assistant for someone that I like fundamentally disagreed with. If they had yes. one vision for battle tech, and that's why that's why I define that's a better way of saying why I define myself as Ray's assistant and not the assistant for battle tech. Because if I fundamentally disagreed with Ray and how he saw the game, or like what he wanted to do with it, like I mean violently fundamentally disagreed with that vision i just wouldn't be doing the job. hard for you to do your job right you yeah. couldn't do the that's job. what i'm saying is i don't have this idea of like but i have to stick with it for the good of battle tech so you I'm, guys I'm you guys assistance. you guys like, work well together then very well so. good that's and awesome we have here we have we have early on i mean he was the one who assigned me interstellar operations and oh, then apologized for it. <laughs> like yeah, well, stuff you have to do. <laughs> well, because I had, I had, um, I didn't know him before that very well at all. Paul did, and when about to early 2015, when I was like, "Hey, I think I could really step up and help more," Paul was the one who connected me with him, with Ray. And I don't, I guess it came about because at the time we had like a proofing team, which is sort of the same as it got sort of conflated i think with fact check and that was literally just going through finished pdfs and making sure that there was no like egregious errors but because i had done technical writing which is going through giant pdfs and looking for egregious errors i would submit these like i mean 115 comment (laughs) pdfs or stuff and when i say comment i mean like not edits i mean like move the comma here this this should be a for sure Lots of red and, marks. And that's what earned me, if that's the word, um, the I.O. assignment. And that's really where I got to know him, was, was both of us getting through Interstellar Ops. I mean, after that, like, yeah, I mean, I was the editor that he gave most of the work to. And, you know, when he was, at the time, I forget his exact title, something, designer maybe? Before he was ALD, there was something else. I can't remember. Production, something. I don't know. But he was the layout guy. He was yeah. their fundamental, their 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 layout guy. So obviously we worked pretty closely there. You know, I was the editor that was, he was yelling at, where's the stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and I was the one being like, you know, I got to fix this or it's going to, you know, go ahead and make it look good on the page, but it's busted and it's not going to look good. It's not going to read right. Um, <laughs> We're working on it. Would yeah, you? so in some that's right. So in some ways I feel like I've been raised assistant for like five or six years now. Would you say honestly? It's, would you say it's a very right brain, left brain yeah. coincide we, each other, get the job done kind of a thing? I I think so. I think I was uh, I can't speak for management, but I think the assistant being offered assistant was it was because of Ray. Hmm. It was because of that relationship that we had. It wasn't because like independently you know, Aaron is the guy we have to get on board. It was, you know, if Ray needs an assistant, if he's if he just needs somebody to help him, which he did. I mean, I'd been doing that for a while. Uh, I think I have anyway. So, 
I think you you've know, been doing a pretty good job. I guess. I mean, I ask him, like, if I'm ever bugging him, I hope he'll tell me. I, sometimes I wonder, like, you know. But, yeah, I mean, we work very well together. And I think that's, you know, there's so much work to do, right? Yeah. I think maybe people have this idea that, like, as line developer and, and ALD or as any developer, that there's a lot of, like, sitting around talking about and thinking about stuff. And, like, it isn't that way. There's just work to be done. So much work. The grindstone. Um, well, yeah. So, like, sure. I mean, we enjoy being able to actually discuss, like, what do we want to have happen to faction X or person Y? But a lot of it is also, like, hey, this thing is screwed up. Who do we know that can fix this by, like, Tuesday? That's a lot of what our conversations are. It's not us sitting around. Like, I think people think that we sit around and determine the fate of the universe. Like... We have, we have a group now, finally, that, that does, but a lot of it's more like, when am I going to get that thing I need? Um, you know, again, not all, not the most exciting. <laughs> if somebody were to see our Facebook Messenger history, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't feel like they're getting some insight into, like, how the sausage... I mean, they'll see how the sausage is made, but they're not going to get any, like, you know, sweet tidbits about what's coming next. I mean, it, it's really a lot of, like very very dry functional planning and production stuff but to, so to we've point, been, go ahead, sorry we we've been at this now for two and a half hours <laughs> sorry which is no that's great this that's has great. been I'm not trying to this set has been a fanta- no no this has been a fantastic conversation I, uh, thank you what i wanted to ask you was yeah. is there anything that we haven't touched on that you feel we've missed um what's the one thing what's the one thing that you want to leave i would say to anyone listening out there that that plays BattleTech, um and has their group you know has their place that they play take it to a store if you can you know try it once you don't have to make some huge commitment take it to a store play it out in public see what happens um I mean that you asked the first question you asked to bring a full circle was what's my origin story? You know, what did I how did I get into this? And the answer was I found a group that played it. And everything stemmed from that. Everything stemmed from that. So and it doesn't mean like if you want to be me, whatever. That's not the point. But like I think there's a lot of good things that happen from playing any game. Any stuff that you love out where people can see it. Um I get why people play in, in, in their homes if they have a ton of scenery or, you know, the perfect table build. I respect that. But give it a shot. Run it. You know, it doesn't have to be a full demo team sponsored thing. You know, certainly if there are demo team members active in your area, find them, support them, go to their games. Uh, do that too. But, you know, if you've got your regular group, regular Saturday game, try to store once. You know, stores, stores watch for these things, right? Oh, they yeah. stock based on what's played. And inevitably, whenever I go to a store and I see Battletech stocked there, it's because people are playing it there. Somebody's playing. Yeah, almost always. So just consider it something to try. doesn't have to be, you know, every Saturday for six months or anything. Just give it a shot once. I'm always a supporter. That's how I got here. Fantastic leave. Matt? Well, should we do some house cleaning stuff? Oh, jeez. Sure. 
What do you want to hit next? Uh, I think we're going <laughs> to... Events, recent battles, or you just want to close the door? I think we're just going to... I think we're going to have to do another... We're going right to have to do another podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so at this point, well, go ahead and let's start our shout outs. Well, um, I want to, first of all, uh, a couple of things I do want to mention. Um, the Battle Barn and Gen Con. Yeah, um, we should hit that. A lot of people are asking why we're not at Gen Con. And if you're a part of the Facebook group, I think I gave quite a few answers to that question. The big part was... One, I don't think we could be guaranteed table space. Two, um, the table space we could have gotten was not going to be adequate enough uh, due to COVID restrictions, which I'm sure are going to be up the up the hilt at Gen Con. Um, three, one, we were already making plans when we thought Catalyst wasn't going to be there. Now they are going to be there, so good for Catalyst. But um, we had an opportunity about a half an hour south of Indianapolis, a place we have already been. It's called the Battle Barn. It's in Martinsville, Indiana. It is a... It's basically what it is. It's a barn dedicated to wargaming. It's going to be awesome. We have... Um, if you go to the Wolfnet Radio Facebook page, we have the events that we're going to be running, uh, the times that we're going to be running them at, just because we have events up doesn't mean that's not the only thing we're doing. I mean, pickup games are going to be all over the place. Um, if you love Battletech, just go. We'll be there. Uh, we'll be flexible. Yeah, we're running all kinds of stuff. So just because let's, it's... Let's, let's, also, let's also go with that when Gen Con was announced, there was so many questions about what that's going to look like. Yeah. And we had a lot of people that listen that are on our facebook page that just said hey guys there's too much uncertainty we need a little more certainty at this time so we can plan and they asked us can you guys do something yeah and we listened and and we're doing the best we can to make an event that that people would be happy to come to um before all the things were defined and all the things have changed last Um, month yeah we we listened and and we made something firm, so that's that's really how Battlebarn came about. And please don't think of this as like we're going against Catalyst because I think we were in talks with Catalyst. Yep. We were going to do yes, some we awesome were. stuff, but yep, they didn't make up their mind. We went our own way just because it, of time. It and... wasn't a, it, it wasn't Catalyst. No, Catalyst it was wasn't not that they couldn't make up their mind. It was Gen Con and restrictions and understanding what we could and couldn't do. And we fi- we got to a point where we needed to start making decisions and planning. And we just, we had this facility because we've played there before and it was offered. Yeah. And we couldn't turn it down because it is a fantastic place to play. So That's right. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. 2022 Gen Con, look out. Because that's going to be awesome. Yep. It's going to be yep. it's going to be a lot of fun. But this year, if you want to come, you want to play some BattleTech. I understand that Catalyst is doing a lot of games, but if you wanted like more specific big game battles or 350 or classic grinder or whatever, we're we're also running that. So um, we're not trying to compete. We're just COVID messed this whole world up for two a year and a half, and this is the the outcome. 
So uh, I just want to get that out there. If you listen to us and you're not a part of the Facebook page, please join the Facebook page because that is where the the fastest information is going to be posted. All of this will be happening the same weekend as Gen Con. So if you're going to Gen Con and you got a free Friday or a free Saturday, it's a half an hour, guys. It's right down the interstate. It's not very far. Think of it. Think of it as a pop-up event. Yes. That's all it is. It's a pop-up event for Gen Con. And we have the YouTube channel, Discord, Patreon, Facebook, like you said, and you can reach us at WNRP at WallStreetGoons.com. Shoutouts? So without further ado, Aaron, we want to thank you for spending your time with us and all the the information that you just vomited with us, which is awesome. <laughs> thank you. It's good. Oh, my pleasure. Um, Hopefully it wasn't too vomiting. No, we love it. It was the right we're amount not, of vomiting. We're not going to make the same mistake by not letting someone talk enough. <laughs> right? We made that We made that mistake earlier in, in one of our previous interviews. Hey. And we, we've we been kicking ourselves in the ass ever since, and we weren't going to make that mistake again. This you guys, was very, very good. You guys want to learn how to run OBS? Be my, be my, be my guest. <laughs> when coach needs to go to bed, coach needs to go to bed. <laughs> All right. So, Aaron, do you have any shout outs you want to leave us uh, start off with to uh, anybody from Catalyst or your no, uh, contributors? Just, uh, or? Shout out, shout out to Ray, who I guess was going to drop in or something, and uh, oh, he's I wasn't sure I'd still be awake. What a dick. I was hyping him. <laughs> I was hyping him for all afternoon. And the only thing he told me was, don't be too tough on Aaron because I need him for next week. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently there's something big happening that Aaron needed to be all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. No, one, no one's allowed so to break him but me. No one's allowed to break him but me. Well, maybe maybe some Gen Con will break him with some fireball. <sighs> There you go. What a terrible boss. Couldn't even come out and <laughs> raz his assistant. Jeez, Brent. Get your shit together. Ray. Not Brent. Not Ray, Brent. sorry. Ray. Not Brent. Ray. I don't know. The two are the same to me. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you both. Um, I got... Uh... I'm going to shout out to the Sioux City group, Bob, Chris, Travis, Jose, for uh, inviting me uh, down to Sioux City and the opportunity to share food, good times, rolling dice, letting them get introduced to Alpha Strike <clears throat> with a five-way free-for-all and uh, explanation of cattle, uh, classic uh, and showing them some box sets and where they can find that to all of our links and uh fun sponsors and catalysts and all that fun stuff. Love you, Bob. Shout out to those guys who are old friends. And also, thanks for the goulash. Ooh. I like me some goulash. It was awesome. It had uh, a salted bacon flavor. (gasps) Oh, it was so good. You know you're in the Midwest when you get the goulash. (laughs) It was like three helpings and I was ready to go to sleep. But I had to teach, so I taught. Andrew? My shout outs. I'm gonna shout out I'm gonna shout out Chad Orson at uh, the Source Games and Comics for all of his work to uh, uh, organizing Battletech events, 
to um, I worked with him on getting him hooked up with Ironwind so they could start getting models on the wall. Um, and we played a 350 uh, last, Jesus, what was it, Friday night? And he was excited going in, and he was even more excited going out. Um, that was the clan air, cla- air cav list that was posted on the Facebook page. Um, it was it was a, a, a really fun battle. The unfortunate the only unfortunate thing that I will say on that one is, is that he rolled stand up fight, which um, <laughs> I was I his. Think, I think his he was fearful. His air cav would have been his air cav would have been a lot more fun to see how it worked with something else, but um, we had a good time no matter what. Um, second shout out will go to Bob Mahoney. Um, he's been to a couple of our uh, 350 tournaments. Um, he called me up and said, "Hey, I got a kid that that's a guy, guy that's interested in in playing classic." So he introduced me to Tan, and as we were at the store, a uh, guy that was coming back into BattleTech, Jake, he joined us. We played a game of classic. And uh, we had a great time. That goddamn Wolverine just would not die, which <laughs> became the running joke of the table. It was it was great. Um, and my la- last two, um, one to the official forums in the tournament format or list or whatever the, the chat that's going on there. Um, I, I'm really glad to see that that's happening. I'm glad to see that there's interest. Um, as we've stated in the podcast earlier, you know, I would caution or suggest people to play the, play what we have first before you start tearing it apart. I mean, 500 points is a lot. I just put together a two-kid campaign game that's 830 points. That's a lot of stuff. I would have too much with 500. Table. There is entirely too much happening there. So again, we've done this. We've been at it. We've Three tested. years. Give it, a, give it a shot before you criticize it, please. Um, it, we're on to something. If you got something to add, please, but give it a shot first. And last, um, Aaron, I really want to thank you for joining us. This was this was absolutely a treat. This the conversation throughout the whole thing was fantastic um your insight the way you were able to articulate things um i i really appreciate it thank you oh, my pleasure see him stealing your thunder gideon see that <laughs> that's how i feel all the time <laughs> calling you out <laughs> <laughs> all right go ahead charles oh okay um yeah so uh I just want to shout out uh, Jeff, uh, Kaji, Derek. I'm sure I'm missing people. Um, last month uh, wasn't on the podcast, and the day it aired, I had people reaching out with condolences and well wishes. So it just means a lot to know that um, I guess this is more community than, you know, it, obviously it's, it's a lot of community around Battletech, but. It, that the community means more than that, you know. It just meant a lot having every, you know, having people reach out and touch base with me. Um, 
And also, um, breaking news, do, 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 do. Uh, Jeff Wildcard, our very own Wildcard, um, oh. also, he, he does some work over on another podcast that maybe you've listened to, but um, <laughs> uh, he he is, uh, he welcomed a new baby, so congratulations, Ooh, no, Jeff. Snap. Hey, congratulations. Way. That's awesome. Yay. Yay. Way to go, Wildcard. Whoop, whoop. Way to do your job. Your boys, done. <laughs> your boys can swim. Nice job. Uh, Tommy, you got any shout-outs? You know, I, uh, I'd i say I haven't played a single Battletech, read a single book, or listened to a single book since probably May. Have you done any lists? I've done lists. Cool, uh, he's done lists, all right. He's good. He's good. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I want to shout out to all the Jade Falcon fans out there. That oh my god! Oh uh, Yep, I might as well just shout out to them because everybody's a good group as long as you're a Jade Falcon fan. Right? They are freaking multiplying like crazy on the Wolfnet Radio Facebook group. Those were excellent pictures, though. Well done on the paint jobs. Even though they were the wrong colors. And you should like them. You're, you're not... a Packer fan. I know. Well, it, they got one color right. Oh, that's true. No, they do. No, no, no. Um, I'm going to shout out. Uh, let's see. I have. I had you're going a, again? I had an apology in there, too. Oh. I, and I just, lo- I just lost it. Whoa. There's news. Aaron's apologizing. Oh, what? I had it. I had it and just, I lost it. Just talk from the heart. Oh, shit. He got us all excited. Well, I was going to first of all shout out to my wife, who we celebrated 11 years yesterday. 11 um, years. Yeah. Uh, pro tip don't ever go shopping with your wife on the anniversary because women, <laughs> women cannot. Uh, uh, one, find anything they like, and two, it's either too expensive when I com- repeatedly sold her. You can't say that anymore. But um, shout out to her. We had a great day. Uh, 11 years of marriage. Uh, shout out to all my co-hosts, uh, because I don't think we've done that in a while. Uh, this has been quite the uh, the run. I know we missed like our three-year, our two-year, three-year, whatever. Anyway. Two-year, Oh, I oh I know what the apology was. I want to apologize. First of all, I want to thank all of our Patreons. One, thank you guys so much. Two, I want to apologize because I forgot the gem of the month in June. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to try to do a double gem of the month this month. So um, that was, uh, was not the apology I had in my head, but I just had to, had to think of that right now. So. But other than that, um, yeah, that's all I, I thought have. you were going to apologize to Roshak for not getting him his carriage ride this year. No, I will never apologize to Roshak. That's that's when we can attend. That's, that's never going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> well, anyways, like saying again, uh, questions, concerns, comments, join us at uh, YouTube, Discord, Patreon, Facebook, WNRP at com. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. Uh, have a Pleasant evening and a great tomorrow. AC twenty go click click boom. <laughs> mm. Boy.
we go. 